you know, when I was, funnily enough, Terry, when I was in Iraq, um, we went out to collect some chairs one day. And um, I went out with these two fucking psychos, right? Proper psychopaths they were. I didn't know that at the time. He, he said, right, yeah, go out and collect some chairs. There's a school over there. I was like, right, okay. So we went to this, we went to this school and... Um, and as we get there, I'm looking through. All the stuff's been ransacked anyway. There was a couple of chairs. One was broken. Like one had a hole in it. It's like patch up a ball. We're sort of like, oh, maybe we'll get dragged these through and that sort of thing. That was me and one of the other guys. The other guy had fucked off somewhere. There was what? Well, there was loads of books everywhere on the floor. Anyway, about ten minutes later, I turn around and there's loads of smoke coming out of one of the rooms. And I was like, what the fuck? And the bloke set the room on fire from the fucking books. By flicking his fag end across the room, and well, that's what he told me. We might have fucking, frankly, he might have just set the fucking place on fire. So this whole fucking place starts going up in flames. I'm like, what the fuck are we gonna do? It's like, just get out of here, get the chairs and get out of here. So we had to drive around the the back from where we'd come, and as we get around the back, we've got this. There's this big hangar, and there genuinely was a rocket. And now I don't know if it was armed or what, because <laughs> as a soldier in that particular place. For some reason, I thought it was a good idea. We'd go over there, and I got a picture of me riding this rocket with my holding my fucking helmet in the air, like something out of an American war film. It was bizarre. It really was fucking bizarre. I love the fact that standard <laughs> British Army overkill send a couple of psychos to get chairs. Yeah, and then they burned down a school and find I did find at least something resembling a WMT. I don't know what it was. You should have rang Tony Blair. There's a many problem solved tone. I have got you out of one hell of a hole. And then as you go to ring him, your mate's just flicking a fag butt towards it in slow motion. <laughs> no. Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Mr. Mike Theobald. Yo! Or, according to the Zoom chat, Pink Tyson's Dildo. And I am going to update my Zoom name, um, but I'm going to do it audibly rather than on Zoom for the benefit of the listeners. Okay. As we go along. And that laugh is Mr. Terry Chapandama, or as the Zoom name calls him, Buglioni's Logic. Yeah. <laughs> so, gentlemen, if Steve, if Steve could see me now, old COVID Frank, we're back. Five <laughs> G <5G> Frank, <laughs> and you are wild as lost marbles, Andy. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, are you? So, first of all, I think the most important thing to ask everyone this time of year, after what's been going on, what are you both drinking yeah. right now? Uh, are we both drinking? <laughs> yeah, because I can see. So, I can see. Like Terry's drinking from a beaker, which I'm worried. I, I'm. I think he's already ensuring the fact that he might drop it at any point. 
That's Terry, I'm, I'm not educated in this, but I think you might have stolen that from a pirate. Well, the old Rosie. Um, <laughs> that? No, so this was the la- when we recorded last time. I think this is the last bottle I used. So I thought I'd recycle the bottle. What do they call it? Upcycling. So I've upcycled the bottle, <laughs> and I've got some spiced gin in here and some tin. I'm just experimenting today. Some spiced gin and what? Ting, you know that kind of grapefruit thing in the cans, three, oh. three for a quid in Sainsbury's. It sounds like something I'd go and I'd drink on holiday in some tropical island paradise where I'd be there. This is really nice, and by the end of the holiday, I'd never want to try it ever again because I would have got drunk so many times on it. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> uh, Martin, I started. I started on uh, mold wine. I've now moved on to a. California Merlot. If nothing I was else, explaining to Terry that I'm at that that point between Christmas and New Year now, where like today I had to go and do a dump trip, and I was getting rid of. And anyone with kids out there will know what I mean. All the stuff, all the toys, like the boxes to the toys, all the Elsa and Anna dolls, all their their huge boxes. So I've had to fill my car up, go to a dump, get rid of it all. And I'm at that point where I'm just trying to finish Christmas now. And that means I've got half drunk bottles of wine, like sat around the house. All the stuff that like you bought because other people were coming over and then they never came over because of all the lockdown stuff. And so I was finishing off a bottle of mulled wine. Now I'm finishing off a bottle of red wine. The other day I found an entire crate of Anstel in a cupboard. I didn't know I had. Poor thing. What did you have to do? I found I found a brie. I found a brie in my fridge. <laughs> I forgot you... and I bought it. What am I going to do with a fucking wheel of brie? Did you Did you have a, a wheel of brie and a crate of Amstel pie? <laughs> well, it sounds like New Year's that, doesn't it? I'm nailed. Well, the way this year's going, mate, like that might be the high high. In my uh, yeah, so I'm currently I'm finishing off a bottle of red wine. Um, and then after that, I mean, I've genuinely got like so much alcohol because I'd stocked up for my parents, my wife's parents all coming over for like Christmas Boxing Day. And then they never came over. I'm just I'm still so stocked for alcohol. And uh, it's like, honestly, I look like I'm a peak Amy Winehouse. <laughs> well, you've got bags of heroin around as well. That was one. That was one crazy family Christmas. Yeah, well, Mother Fearbold loves it. Oh, it, it all, started, all started with the brie, man. That was the gateway drug. <laughs> I I demolished a, a, a if like a a French cheese selection. It was absolutely huge. With again with the with the idea that other people would be coming around, or I'd take it to someone else's house. And the shame of it when I had to eat it all myself. Wait, wait, whose house are you going to in tier four? Just out of interest. Well, I wasn't, but like, this is the sort of Just stuff. checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the same. Like, we weren't tier four when I stocked up. Yeah. And so, similar to you, Andy, in my fridge, as well as my wheel of brie, I've got an entire cheese selection. In my cupboard, I've got a box of biscuits for cheese. Like, yeah. it's a race now. Can I get through it all before it goes off? <laughs> this is the crazy thing about the holidays right so this is just a fictitious story by the way in case anyone wants to attach any reality to it so if you remember London was okay so I came back to London when London was tier 2 and I'm like fucking brilliant 
pubs, restaurants open sweet. I, I have a good run into Christmas, go see my mum. Um, Hancock sees better. This is all fictitious, so Hancock sees better. Then we hit tier three, we hit tier four quick. Mate, I was literally on full-on escape from Alcatraz, just trying to get out to go and see my mum. And I'm like, bang on, tier two, you know, start planning the piss-ups. And then that hit fucking tier four. Straight that was boxing day that hit tier four. And then you're like, well, fuck am I here for? Like, this tear hopping thing's been crazy. So there are people in Liverpool who thought they could get pissed up on New Year's Eve. And they're, they're getting turfed out of the hotels tonight because basically everything's having to shut. Good. You know. <laughs> Thanks for that fictitious That's story, fun. Terry. Yeah, it's completely fictitious. <laughs> <laughs> what does Frank Buglioni think about it? Well... He assumes I travelled with the power of 5G. Are you going to explain to me what Buglioni's logic means? So, Buglioni, like, anyone who's listened to us before knows there's a friction around Buglioni that... I've, I always enjoyed his boxing and, you know, I have a, a semi-personal relationship to him. Um, whereas Terry always wanted Yard to fight him and, and there's all that, right? Put that aside for two seconds. Bullioni seems to have lost the fucking plot over COVID. Like, has lost the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not a COVID denier, I don't think, in that he um, he sort of acknowledges that it's a real thing, but he's willing to die on the hill of fuck COVID. Like, let's carry on with normal life. Die on the hill. <laughs> so... So, so Bullioni, <laughs> the weird thing is, if you remember his whole career, they used to talk about how intellectual and how educated he was, right? Yeah. Oh, man, I feel for him because he's getting dragged from this is this is the sort of dragging he should have got for Ducky Yard. So, I, for me, I'm just sat back doing popcorn ready. I'm like, yes, the problem I'm is. Here. The problem that he's got is that he engages with everyone and that digs a bigger hole. Whereas if he'd have shut up about it maybe a couple of months back, I think you could maybe give it a pass. But the other day, Craig Scott found a tweet where he... You, you start to worry about the sanity of a man when he starts trying to correct somebody for spelling the word thick wrong. But they hadn't, <laughs> spelt, they hadn't spelt it wrong. They spelt it correctly. <laughs> Well, how are these and so he's quote, you know when you quote tweet someone you're trying to be like a grammar Nazi and you put like uh thick but they hadn't oh. fucking spelt it wrong in the first instance oh, mate. <laughs> but was his you, you need to was his need to rein it in was his corrective spelling the same as their spelling yes <laughs> do you know what I'll, I'll be honest with you I'll tell you what I'd love to see at the moment Matt Hancock Miles Shinquin and Frank Bullioni on his Zoom. Shinquin's lost it as well, isn't he? What's... Oh, yeah. man. Shinquin's gone full Thatcherite Tory. Out of nowhere. Miles Shinquin, former English light heavyweight champion, he started earlier going on about England needs to start selling the Oxford vaccine. Like, selling it to other countries because why should we... You know, why should we kind of be a, a deficit for developing it? I, I don't think he understood that the British government had funded £5 million worth of the, the research for it. 
but they will sell it. They will sell it, won't they? I mean, they might give priority to the British government, but they will sell it, right? But the thing is, I mean, I'm 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 not unless I'm missing something. It's quite hard to sell because you can only sell it to countries that can store it at like minus 100 degrees or is it minus 70. Is that... So actually, there's only a few countries with the infrastructure to actually manage the vaccine. Anyway, I feel like we might have gone off boxing early doors here. And that was the virus <laughs> podcast. Thanks, everyone. Because that's enough. You haven't heard enough of that this year. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's some fucking COVID shit. Yes. Um, but- yeah, um, the, the tin used for all the hats in this discussion was provided from Cornwall, thank you, which is uh, now in tier three. Karma's a bitch. Is it? They got promoted. Yeah. Oh, that was well up with that. I was looking for tier two locations in case I decided to fictitiously migrate, and I well, don't think there are any left. What about Isle of Wight? That was tier two, wasn't it? Tier three now. It's only the Isle of, the Isles of Silly. <laughs> Fucking hell, no one's going there. Shout out to our Isles of Silly listeners. <laughs> All half of them. Uh, okay, so just to sort of fill listeners in, just a quick one. Um, this is being obviously uh, recorded remotely, so any problems with sound, tell it to somebody else because I'm not interested. Um, we've done that. I've done my best. The second part is that I was kind of strictly refused uh, an agenda. It was not something they wanted to be pinned in with. So, uh, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. You were you were allowed an agenda if you composed one. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> you've, known, you've known we were doing this for a week. Yeah. yeah. Don't put it Listen, on us. The way I see it is, I know what I want to talk about. Martin, do you know what you want to talk about? No, I've no idea, but I'll join in. <laughs> Andy, well, is that, I was, uh, yeah, I've got one thing on the agenda, and then I've drawn a, a, like an onion, and, well, like as a doodle. What kind of onion? It's like a. I don't really know actually. It's like a. It looks like a spring a, onion, a, a red white, onion, a white onion with a spring onion's top. Maybe it's more of a, 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 spring spring more of a leaf. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's that looks like a. Um, okay. <clears throat> nah, you know those old. What were they when you got them down from trees and they fell? They were like propellers. They're twisted round. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks like half one of those. <laughs> Maybe it's one of them. Just my inner child wanting to escape the house and play with fucking wait, 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 parts wait, wait, of a tree. What do you mean, maybe? Wait, what do you mean, maybe? You drew it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Real useful for the listener, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Um, okay, so. Do you know what? For my, for my house, right? I've got two houses. I'm set up in my bedroom. I'll explain this. We don't get very good Wi-Fi because I'm on the third floor of my house. And uh, Big there's time. two rooms. Is that, Optimus, is that Optimus Prime on your pillow, Mark? I've got an Optimus Prime uh, bed sheet in my cupboard. <laughs> he's got, um, that's why he's got a three-floor house because he's removed the floorboards and now he's got a life-size Optimus Prime that goes from the ground floor and the head ends up in the attic. Uh, well, actually, you're incorrect. It's got a four-floor house. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I knew. I knew. I just think to myself, it doesn't sound right because the size of Martin's Optimus Prime wouldn't fit in a three-bedroom house. Yeah, he'd never get in there. <laughs> yeah. Now I've, I've realised there's another house. There's one house out of back of mine where they've got, and I can only imagine it's frosted glass on the inside of like a shower room, but it's not very well frosted from the outside, so you can see them when they shower. Um, 
Oh, fucking hell. And I've only just realised, like, from where I am, there's another house, like, on the other angle that's kind of the same issue. Oh, there awesome. you go. Any any um interesting parties getting showered? No, I'll let you know if I see tits. Excellent. I hope they don't listen to this, by the way. <laughs> um, okay, so is there anything... What I was going to start with what has uh, so we've had we've had a year of interrupted and disrupted boxing, but at the very, very start of the year, well, up until March, things were still well being ignored up until the point they were forced to stop. Um, I wanted to discuss the not so much the fight itself, but the fallout that we haven't discussed in the year almost gone since Wilder Fury. So there's two points before we start on that. Yeah. It was February, March time, about the time when Hearn did that interview saying, oh, this this virus, you know, it might it might cause issues, but it's survival of the fittest. <laughs> <laughs> and if you remember, if you remember, he was he was talking so tough, wasn't he? Yep. We're going ahead with all of our shows. We're not cancelling anything. Yes. That was when he rescheduled he rescheduled White Povetkin, wasn't it? For like a few weeks down the line. Or was it Usyk Chizora? One of the two. Yeah. And he was just talking so tough. And, and the thing is, like, we're watching what's happening in the world going, ah, I, I don't think it's going to be boxing. And then the yeah. rugby stopped and the football stopped. And Hearn's still like, now boxing's still going to carry on in the line. But he, he was talking in like business sense of will Frank Warren survive it? They haven't got much money in the bank. It's survival of the fittest. <laughs> well, those words are really great now, don't they? <clears throat> How many thousand dead? Cheers, Eddie. Yeah, but you know, I felt when asking about that because you know. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Frank the- really only probably puts it down to the flu, so it's fine. I am. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a, an interview with him the other day and it was a little bit after that and that's when he was like oh we don't know what we're going to do he sounded all sort of then he suddenly he was concerned he was a concerned member of the public oh yeah no hopefully give out free tickets to the nhs for when they uh, return (laughs) no he didn't that wasn't the particular (laughs) interview but i also remember that (laughs) because that was one of the interviews wasn't it where matrim were going to give out free tickets to the nhs for when they return to having fans in venues and then the NHS never got any for um, Joshua versus um, uh, Pulev. A lot of boxers seem to be key workers based on that crowd. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it's really fortunate for both Declan Rice and Floyd Mayweather that they managed to get tickets via StubHub on that, or AXS via that ticket and queuing system I because think, a lot of people never got them. I think Mayweather's a registered <laughs> nurse. <laughs> that's why that's why I gave up boxing. Is. <laughs> so no, there were, there were no, no tickets to the NHS, but congratulations, you let in Floyd Mayweather and his gang of like 25 hangers on. Fucking brilliant. I think Mayweather, I think Mayweather was occupation. I think he just said Secretary of Defense. And I'm just like, <laughs> not be a key worker. I love it because when I called this out on Twitter, someone was like, just Floyd goes wherever he wants. They were like, <laughs> like, no, that's not the point. It's not the point that Floyd Mayweather shouldn't be in that building. The point is that you've said the NHS can't come 
because it's not business as usual and I don't have any tickets. Every ticket has to be distributed via AXS, via StubHub. That's the issue is that if you're going to sit and like brazenly bullshit your way through it, then you really need to ask Sky not to let their cameras film Floyd Mayweather and his mates walking into the arena. Well, which, which then turned into the Mayweather show. Now, I want to talk about grifting later on. So I think 2020 has been the year of the grift. But that Mayweather grift was genius, right? Show up, all expenses paid trip to the UK. You know you're going to fight Logan Paul. And then just make a Joshua fight all about Mayweather. I'm like, hold on, this guy's got a couple of million quids worth of promotion and marketing for nothing. I was like, Mayweather's the king of the grift as far as I'm concerned. He just knows how to take money off people. But going back to my original point, and I can't remember what my point one was, but point two, I cannot believe Wilder Fury was this year. It does feel like an eternity ago, doesn't it? There's been a whole whole fucking meltdown since then. I've been locked down seven different times since then. (laughs) (laughs) But bizarrely, we've been free to roam around and have a night out of the pub, which also doesn't feel like this year. That feels like 10 years ago. We've played about seven football league games. We weren't allowed to see our family, but we were allowed to share a field with like 30 blokes. Yeah, you're allowed to fucking man-mark someone at a corner. I couldn't see an old deer. Brilliant. Oh, dear, bizarre. Oh. At least the rules are consistent. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so, what so, was your question? So, about the... So, let's take ourselves back to that initial, the, the fallout of the fight. So, you've got... Um, is his corner man banished outside of his changing room, sat on the naughty step, because he's a because he's a traitor. Uh, I've heard at least one interviewer who's called him a traitor. Um, no, but at the time he wasn't a traitor. If you remember at the time, he got rid of Breland because he said no one should be throwing the towel in. He dis- he he disregarded orders. The traitor thing came later when they started talking. Okay. When they were just picking excuses out of a bucket, basically. But then there was. On that line of thought, there was quite a few excuses that have since come out. But for a long time, he didn't say anything, did he? He just remained sort of silent. And then he came <clears> out <throat> that mad video. Whereas- yeah, so I've got, I've got an issue with those that pick him out for being silent. Um, disregard the video for now. Then that video never came out. And I know Happily. that's difficult. Happily. It was fucking... It was <laughs> lunacy. But... Why should boxers have to talk when they haven't got anything lined up? And I realise that, like, say, for instance, small hall boxers, we've said before, we'd encourage them to keep reminding you that they're a boxer in between fights because a lot of them are guilty of, of not trying to push themselves as a boxer 365 days a year. We know Wild is a boxer. We know he's likely to come back and try and fight for a world title. Why should he have to come out and, and converse? I I think I'd answer that with he shouldn't have to do anything. But the fact that he's so brazen and happy to blow his own... And I'd hold, to be honest, I would hold uh, Joshua and Fury to the same standard, given the way they talk about themselves and that, you know, that were the roles reversed, to then disappear. I just thought it was a bit like, 
Oh, so now you now it's now you just kind of it felt like he was running away and hiding from the embarrassment of it all. Wouldn't you? Well, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. I mean, look, it's very difficult for me to put myself into that position. I was never ever going to be a heavyweight champion of the world, but let's assume for a second I was. I wouldn't be talking in the mad ways that Joshua Fury and Wilder do. And perhaps that is why I'm not never going to be a heavyweight champion. Honest, right? I think I'm it's Wilder, more because you're shit at boxing. You're 38 years old, mate. But... <laughs> I'm not 38 yeah, yet. If, if I'm, I'm, if I'm Wilder... January the 30th. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. Good. You're Wilder. 28, sorry. Yeah. You've been smacked from pillar to post by Tyson Fury. You never expected this would happen in a million years. I reckon the first thing he thought when he realised he lost was the memes are going to be cruel. I would have disappeared as well. That's exactly what I would have done because you know for at least a month after that it's meme city. So I can understand why he disappeared from that perspective because the avalanche of we get a chance to finally shit on Wilder because he's lost you you can't fight that in the same way that Joshua did it. If you remember when Joshua lost to Ruiz, held his hand, that better man won on the day, and then Joshua just kind of disappeared for a bit until it came time to start selling the rematch. But he disappeared because there was nothing he could do. Like you're just going to get your ass handed to you because, like as we keep saying, like, Twitter can be the cruelest place where you take an L. Okay, so so I okay, so if I accept that logic. Why then did Wilder come back with, like, I would argue to some extent that if he felt that way, it would it would naturally lead to some sort of introspection. And yet he came back with, the king, your king is back. And then he starts telling how Wilder had fucking cheated. Uh, no, sorry, how Fury had cheated. And his gloves were fucking all over the place and and he was you know yeah. like accusing... yeah, at, that, at that point he's gone full bully only yeah i just i just <laughs> I, I i can't i can't sort of one doesn't make sense with the other for, for me if you're going to be if you're going to be that brazen and that sort of like um disregarding of what actually happened why not come out two weeks later like what has happened in that time is like was it for three months he thought oh no what have i done and then woke up one day i went back to normal right your king well, is back. You're like, oh, you know, well, you can imagine, right? You can imagine Wilder's just at home feeling sorry for himself, and his phone goes off, and it's like a WhatsApp from Bullione. It's like, mate, look <laughs> at these gloves. There's something off here, you know. And then, it's, then the next message is, "Did you check your water?" That's often how they get at you when they put the five G in the water. So you can imagine he's got all of these messages, <laughs> and it's slowly crept on him, and he's like. I think Frank's right. I think this man has a point. And he comes straight away with it. And Frank may have been the cameraman for that video. Like, come on, come on, come on, what? Come on, Deontay. You can do better than this. You can see Deontay going, Frank, get two meters away from me. Frank's like, no, 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 no. No, I don't, I don't do the, the two meter stuff. <laughs> um, so then. Sorry, I... Andy, I'm just changing my Zoom name. Right, so you were Pink Tyson's dildo, and you are going to be... I'm now Lyndon Arthur's right hand. Right, lovely. Uh, <laughs> are you changing it, or am I changing it? Well, if you can change it. But it doesn't really matter, no one can see it. That's not the point. Because I can't then quote it next time you want to change it. Well, I can't change it on my phone, so you can do it. Lyndon, Lyndon Arthur's... Arthur's right hand, please. 
Uh, is that right? Well, it's not changed, but... Oh, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, yeah, so am I right? I have a question. What happened to that suit that Wilder wore? I can imagine he kicked <laughs> his shit out of it. That... Do, you remember the film Ameri- Do you remember the film American Gangster when Frank Lucas got caught in the fur coat? And he goes home and he says, Fine, he goes, hey, shit. Mate, I'd imagine if he kicked the shit out of it, it'd have broken his foot. Um, <laughs> imagine how much he could sell that suit for now at auction. Who would have that? I'm like, mate, that's just a, it's bad luck. You do, you know what, do you know what it genuinely reminded me of, right? I went to school, my middle school. Um, <clears throat> Andy, you know, Stanton Middle, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a disco once. And my dad, Andy, you can also back this up. My dad likes to make quirky shit inventions, right? <laughs> um, he made me, out of polystyrene, pretty much all polystyrene, um, this like Robocop style outfit but inside of it he put a load of LED lights and <laughs> in the hand he'd made a switch that turned on these LED lights or turned them off and so I'm like 12 years old rocking up to a school disco <laughs> in like a polystyrene Robocop outfit and if I pressed the button these lights came on around the eyes and the hands I looked like a fucking shit white Deontay Wilder. It was amazing. Would you, uh, could you I'm, not dance because you were too in. tired? You what, Zoe? Could you not dance because you were too tired after carrying the suit all that way? I had to walk from the car to the hall and that was it. <laughs> I was, I was Sitting down on one of the chairs. I can't, I can't dance, lads. I'm, I'm absolutely wasted. Oh. I'll just at the tuck shop for the rest of it. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I can see happening? I can see Fury coming out for their third fight in a suit like that. Oh, well, this that is be the amazing? thing. If Tyson then bought it and then wore it to the ring, how brilliant would that be? That would be such um that would be the biggest fucking piss take you could ever. And the fact they'd be so ill-fitting. <laughs> yeah. That's a squeeze into it. <laughs> oh, imagine how much that would wreck Deontay's head if he, if he... Who, was, who was the rapper that walked Wilder to the ring? Oh, fuck no. I don't know. Wasn't it just his mate? Like, I literally, I think his mate just, whatever was in his head, he just let out. Like, it didn't seem to be well planned. Like, there was definitely no rehearsal for that. Well, you can pay him enough. He'll come and do the ring walk for Fury. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Andy, you were uh, were an MC once. Say that again, sorry? You were an MC once. (laughs) Sorry. I was... I was telling Martin, should I, should I tell him the story? Yeah, yeah, because it is fucking amazing. The fact, the payoff to this story is that you got cunted off by a lot of 13-year-old children makes it even better. So my mate said to me, we were, we were about 15 years old, six, 15, 16 years old, and he went, I'm going to be a DJ. I was like, right, okay, that, good for you. He said, will you come and support me? I said, yeah, well, I don't mind, mate. I'll come, I'll come down and help you out. Like, just to be there for moral support. And he said, you can be the MC. And I, I, I genuinely, I mean, it's, it's not like I was some, you know, brought up in the Bronx or, or, or frankly, had was in touch in any way to 
gritty the gritty side of street life in as when i was growing up so as far as i was concerned an mc was the master of ceremonies and i expected to turn up in a tuxedo and and introduce people to the whatever it wasn't that wasn't what i expected what i actually expected was to just just turn up and support him until he said you could be the mc so he said i'm gonna be dj devil and you could be mc angel and i was like this doesn't sound good at all i know i know i know I know. (laughs) So I was like, right, okay, fine. So then, anyway, he doesn't say anything more to me than it's going to be at this youth club, right? For thirteen, and there's going to it's a thirteen-year-old's birthday party. So I turn up to this birthday party, and he's changed his name without telling me anything to DJ Tracks, right? So he's DJ Tracks, and I'm MC Angel for no fucking reason whatsoever. Does it? It's not the. Tracks with an X. It was DJ Tracks with two X's, actually. Two X's. <laughs> of course. And, uh, and uh, so he's DJ Tracks and MC Angel. We've got these T-shirts that he's made up for us. I've no idea why I'm MC Angel at this point. And he says to me, he says to me, "Yeah, we'll just we'll just play some tunes." So he's playing some tunes. Anyway, I'm to the toilet, and on the way back, this kid comes up to me and goes, "So you got to do some MC in a what?" And I was like, "Oh shit, I haven't done it. I've no no preparation, no fucking skill, frankly, no Wait, understanding." How many, how many lines have you written? <laughs> Craig asked me to write some write some uh, some lyrics. Well, no, he didn't actually. He said, "Don't worry about it." But I thought I got to go at least do something. I was totally lost. And so I wrote four lines and I can't remember what they were. They were crap, obviously. Four lines. <laughs> like, I, I'm not that au okay with MCing, but I'm pretty sure that's about three seconds worth. <laughs> oh, Depends how long you string them out for. <laughs> <laughs> it's not operatic, mate. <laughs> so uh, then he says to me, <laughs> so then I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, the thing was, I remember sort of like cl- clutching this uh, piece of touching this piece of paper in my pocket as though it was some sort of like safety harness like well if the shit hits the fan i'll pull out the four lines that'll keep them that'll keep them quiet for four seconds and uh anyway so craig was like don't worry about it come around the back of the so i'm at the back anyway it, 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 it uh, escalated to the point where i had this gang of 13 year olds standing around the dj booth going come on do some MCing. come on you're useless you can't MC." and i'm like what the fuck's happened here? Not only have I got a stupid name that doesn't make any sense that I didn't choose, but I've also been asked to do it. I've also, from coming here for moral support, I've now come here and just been basically, I'm, I'm taking all the... funny by a group of 13. <laughs> Effectively, I was his lightning rod. He could have been the crappiest DJ in the world, but he had a worse MC. So I was just like, <laughs> I just took all the flack. Yeah, so that was uh, that was my experience. That was my <laughs> first try it again. That was my first and last gig as MC Angel. Oh, absolutely so fucking you, awful! Did, did, did you arrive at the venue in like a massively heavy leather jacket that just knackered you out? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the the t shirt? Far as I remember, it, it the worst thing about it was as well. It had like I think Craig had bought it thinking that it was like it's supposed to look like. A black T-shirt with like, so it was like a starry <clears throat> night or like some sort of like disco-y look. But it actually just looked like I was wearing a T-shirt with sequins on it that said MC Angel on the back. Which was obviously extra cool at a 13-year-old's birthday party. So yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, again, that was my lo- first and only 
MC Angel gig. So for bookings, get in touch on Twitter. I've got well, four. I remember, um, I remember seeing photos in MC Weekly of you. Yeah. And that mic, that microphone looked dodgy. So I think you need to check out whoever set it up. But they, um, well, so Solid Crew stole 21 seconds off me, but it was originally, I've got three seconds to go. <laughs> yeah. And then I just blurt out four lines. What What is happening with your camera? No, I'm about to say goodnight to one of my children. Oh, fair enough. One of the many children. Goodnight, sweetheart. This is pot. Do you want to come and say goodnight to our podcast? The podcast gold. It's all right. We're not filming it. <laughs> I, I, I really <laughs> hope she doesn't listen. Goodnight. There you go. Goodnight. Helium voice. There you go. <clears throat> the input of a five year old. That's Probably sweet. the most mature out of all of us. Like, that's the high point, guys. You can stop listening now. Yeah. Even she believes that uh, COVID's real. Um, Don't tell Frank she's fine. <laughs> so anyway, to bring us back on track somewhat, unless one of you necessarily wants to deviate. Um, so at this, after his video, am I right in thinking that at that point, or at least it was divulged later, that Fury then took issue with everything he said in that video and said he didn't want to fight him again? Mm, I don't think he said that, did he? No. I think I was under the I impression the, the that focus, the focus shifted from why would I fight him to, or like <clears throat> maybe we could do a third through to let's just go for the undisputed. Like, I don't think there was. I, I think am... people kind of lost interest through, as you say, some of the the, the quietness. I'm and sure then that he said something about the... like you've made accusations against my character, and you've you've. Um, Wasn't he going to sue? Did he threaten to sue? It rings a bell, but I mean, come on, man. Well, I just, I to be honest, all I thought to myself was, is he using it as an excuse to just shoehorn his way out of any well, moral obligation? If, if you know, if he thinks he has one, because Wilder was saying, I gave you a hand up when you had nothing, and so now he's sort of like, you've questioned my character, and that'll be that'll that dust my hands off of that. If, if you're Fury coming back from that, surely, like. Given that there's been this massive gap between his uh, his opportunities to fight, if he were if he were that arse, he would just go back and finish it off for a third time and take the money. I think he's genuinely got other focuses. I think he's tired. Like if you really if you think about those guys, they've had what uh, twenty eight about two and a half years of those two going back and forth. You, you just like I must. You must sit there and go. I'm just fucking bored of it. Yeah, that's what you must think. Right? I'm just legit bored of it. I want to deal with the big weightlifter. This is a bit more fun for me. I can I can come up with some new material. Right? Yeah. That's really what you well, where Fury's head is at. And I think I think we've we've talked about it on previous episodes. Wilder will do well to go off and just beat some people up, right? Yeah, and then rediscover the old Wilder. And then we will call for the fight when we think it makes sense. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Like, it would make sense to fight now, Povetkin, White. Any of them. And assuming yeah. he beats them, because maybe he doesn't, but assuming he does, then there'll be an interest again. But until that point, like, what are we waiting on? Nothing particularly. And, and I think, I'm assuming 
that I would speak for all of us when I'd say I'd much rather be interested in a Fury Joshua fight than I would a Fury Wilder three right now. You're not going to get it. That's the that the whole nub of all of this. And I, and I, I think I said this to Porky the other day. I think the date for this fight's been agreed, right? It's been agreed. It will not happen in 2021. They've always said 2022. I think this has been kind of agreed for a while. And all they've done is they've worked backwards. What can we fill the space with? And those two fights in 2022, we'll see those two guys done with the sport, I think, depending on, obviously, crowds and so forth. But I, I don't... It, all the stuff I see from Joshua tells me he doesn't really want to carry on doing this. And I don't think Fury can keep up this, this thing of training every day. I just don't think it's who he really is. So I think once he's dealt with Joshua twice, that'll be the end of it. There was a Sky Sports um, tweet the other day, and then Michael Benson got on it, which was about um, terms that are nearly agreed. And so I retweeted it with that Fury video of six months ago, where he said Daniel Kinahan had helped agree all of the terms and the fight is on. Six months ago. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news from Sky Sports there. Six months ago, they said that all the terms were agreed. The fight was on. Just there you go. Right. So so what is left to agree if it was agreed six months ago? What did Kinahan do? Did Kinahan turn up going, right, 50-50, lads? And they went, you all right, cool. <laughs> nice one, Daniel. <laughs> We couldn't have done that without you. Yeah, fuck me. No wonder he's an international mastermind, allegedly. <laughs> Advisor to the stars. Advisor to the stars. 50-50, lads, sorted. Cheers. No, we don't want 50-50. Okay, what about 50-50 and a kit cage? Fucking hell, Danny, you've done it again. <laughs> in- interest in that case in America, though, isn't it? With, um, with Kinahan. Uh, you have to well, enlighten Jojo me. Diaz. No, don't know. Go on. I mean, that that won't surprise you, I'm sure. But tell me about it. Um, what can I say? Well, it's all public knowledge. I'll just I'll say what's public knowledge. Jojo Diaz was signed to MTK from the uh, pass. Can't remember. Um. And allegedly, he was given a $100,000, like, welcoming package. Um, and so the lot that lost him to MTK are now taking them to court um, under the RICO Act. So I don't know if you're aware of what the RICO Ooh. Act is. No. Okay. Um, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act. Ooh, okay. So there you no, go. Your ears are perked up now, isn't they? No ambiguity. Um, no ambiguity in what those charges might involve. Yeah. So they've taken MTK to court in America and have invited Kinahan. They basically said they don't believe Kinahan is separated from MTK. So they have named him and said he's one of the people they want to have as a witness and to testify. Um. And they're happy for him to do so via video call because they said that they believe he's in Dubai, but MTK has presence in the US um, for basically like, I think it's not the legal term, but like poaching one of their, their fighters, Jojo Diaz. 
Don't so they call that means... tortious interference? You are so? I think they call it tortious interference in America, don't they? I've no idea. Well, I would just if I was going to name it over here, it'd be called poaching. But uh, but yeah, so they're they're doing this full. Um, they're taking it through the court process. It's an ex-US Marine who's the lawyer um, who's going through it. It's like I didn't give a fuck. Why would I give a fuck about who it is that I'm taking through the uh, the process? Uh, okay. Well. <laughs> That's interesting. So yeah. Anyway. So yeah. So Daniel Kinahan, who has no criminal links or activity on his name, let that be noted. Agreed the fight six months ago with Joshua and Fury. International mastermind. And then stepped away from the sport entirely. Wow, I mean, if you've done that, what else is there left to do? <laughs> Completed it, mate. Completed <laughs> it. <laughs> um, okay, so then, I think we've we've done that sort of area to death. But so moving moving on to another sort of uh well was somewhat a shock. I think the one of the first fights that that happened oh no moving on rather moving on throughout the year then we had people fighting in Eddie Hearn's garden wait a minute haven't we done some of this when we recorded earlier did we did we talk about White getting knocked out I can't remember that was I'm not sure that was where I was going I think they might have been prior to White getting knocked out but after the rest of his um, backyard wrestling version of boxing fight camp Okay. Um, oh no! So that fight camp, right? Go back to before fight camp happened, and Hearn said this is very clear. I don't have slots for filler. Every no fight has to meet. No easy yeah. fight. Every fight is a fifty-fifty. I might put one or two, which are learning fights for people we think have got a big future. So at this point, we're like, "Oh, he's going to sweat his assets." Yes, 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 yes. And then you get Eggington versus Cheeseman, and you're like, oh, okay, okay. I, uh, yeah, I expected this. That's what you think. Yeah, I expected this. And it was that fight camp, and, and it's weird because at that point we were just grateful to watch boxing again. But when you look at it with hindsight, which I don't like to do very often, because I don't want to be an aftertimer. Um, but in essence, it set a very low bar for the rest of the year. And we allowed Hearn off the hook again for providing substandard fights. And I think you've started to see the irritation that Adam Smith has had, where Adam's like, mate, not only are you giving us shit cards, but you're letting the zone ride roughshod over us. Like, we, we built Luke Campbell. You know, we built Luke Campbell, and we can't show Luke Campbell fight for a world title. Like, if Adam Smith had it in him, he should have punched Eddie Hearn in the jaw for that. <laughs> Andy, can you add um, to the agenda? Can you add the uh, the funding for boxing, please? Thank you. That is number. That is now number one on the agenda, as we've already spoken <laughs> about. The, Terry, Steve, yeah. Terry Steve Bunt's impression reminded me. <laughs> I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you this. What I, what I would tell you is, but I'm not telling you that. I, if I didn't tell you, then it wouldn't be me. But if I do tell you, and that's what I'm telling you, what are you fucking talking about, you mong? Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> oh god, no. It just does my head in. It just. Oh. 
Uh, he clomped him. And I say clomp, and I know I shouldn't, but I'm probably going to say it again. And honestly, if you were sitting there and... Sorry sorry about this, mate, but I'm just going to literally... Sorry about this, Mike, is what he does all the time on their podcast. Sorry about this, Mike, but I just need to say clomp him. Clomp him is not a word that I would usually use, but... You know, you were sitting there wingside and it actually <laughs> sounded like a clump. So, wait, wait, I know, clumped him. Wait, wait, wait. Why is he wait, turning into, why is he like, speaking like he's inhaled a helium balloon? <laughs> wait, wait, guys, guys, hold on a second. Was it you, Martin, that Steve took shots at about the article? Yeah, yeah. So this is why I wanted it added on. Well, actually not <laughs> Oh, okay. I have no idea about this. What's this, what's this about? So, right. And to clarify at the beginning, I have no issue with what Steve said whatsoever. Like, it's a valid point. Um, uh, article so, on the agenda, funding, by the way. Just do, you, do you remember about three, eh, two months ago when all of boxing went into uproar because boxing got no funding out of the government when all the other sports got like, what was it, horse racing, rugby union, badminton, rugby Corporal. league? football all these other sports every other sport you could conceivably think of got given money by the government to help support them during covid boxing got zero like less than if i went out and crowdfunded down my street boxing got zero and there was all this moral outrage amongst the fucking the usual voices the steve bunces the eddie herms the all the fucking standard dickhead like reactionary voices that don't do anything prior to the issue but want to talk about it afterwards right and so they're all going oh boxing saves people from the streets boxing turns like animals into human beings boxing you know it does all that stuff like the, the absolute basics of what dickheads say begging and- 101 yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I wrote an article on the back of all this hysteria about it, saying who, like basically to raise the question, if you had a million pounds, like Andy, I'll ask you this question because you haven't read the article. It's a good example. If you had a million pounds right now and you're the government and you were to give it to boxing, where would it go? Yeah, yeah. I'd... So, so now let me start yeah. putting some context around that because you're going to get shitloads of applications. You'll get it from Boxing England. You'll get it from the Alliance. You'll get it from the British Boxing Board of Control. You could get it from Frank Warren, from Eddie Hearn. No, from... you will get it from Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn. <laughs> and that might be harsh on them. I don't think they necessarily would because they support the greater picture, allegedly. You know, Frank Warren took out those bounce back loans. Right? All those legal entities. You know, it takes the count to look a lot healthier. <laughs> I think they would. I still, I honestly think they would. Um, and so, if you think about football, you would get an application from the FA. If you think about boxing, like you've got. In the professional side, you could say you'd get it from the British Boxing Board of Control or you could get it from Bieber. If you think the amateur side, you could get it from GB. You could get it from Boxing England. You could get it from the Alliance. That's Boxing five Scotland, different bodies. Boxing Wales. Yes, that's six different bodies before you've even gone into the 
the children of those bodies. And so the article was about, look, boxing has no fucking governance, no proper governance. And so therefore, until you get your house in order, you don't deserve a penny. Because where would you give it? And it would just, yeah. it would be like, you know, when someone's nan dies and then you end up with four children just squabbling about where the will's going to go. And like every one of them just starts throwing dirt at the other one just to try and get a little bit more money out of it. It would be like that. Boxing doesn't deserve it until it can govern itself properly. And I'd go I wrote on... this article and then Steve Bunce jumped on it saying, ah, no, nah, it's bollocks, it's this, that. He's never written for an editor. No, that's true. That's fair. I mean, no, I haven't. Oh, right, because editors are always the pinnacle of fucking... <laughs> a paragon of virtue who, <laughs> who will iron out your every fucking mistake. Apart from that, I, had, I have written for the Boxing News before, which is the same place as Steve writes some of his articles. Um, but, Steve loves having a boss, man. They, 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 you got to understand that. Steve loves yeah. having a boss. He can't understand the notion of someone being independent and self-made and doing so things no, I write things for a bit of a laugh for myself every now and then as a cathartic process just to get things out of my head which was what that whole funding thing around oh, boxing should get money no you fucking idiot you fucking massive idiot it doesn't deserve money if it can't govern itself properly because where would that money go where would it feed into I, I, I don't so this is probably it's probably a bit vitriolic but still, nevertheless, I'd still stand by it in that I'd also I, I'd also stand by that argument because boxing doesn't even want to be governed either. It makes no effort to try and be governed because they like being splintered. They like be they like all of the advantages that it gives them to be this sort of like independent, difficult to pin down, to regulate, and all that sort of stuff. They that's what tends to be what you know bo- that boxers that boxing it, it takes advantage of. So, so then if it got governed properly, it gets yeah, shut no, down. Yeah. yeah, no, but if you notice, right, you can't really launder money through rugby and you can't really launder money through football. Yep. You know, because they're governed and there's transparency and people ask questions. Yep. I'm not saying I'm not saying people launder money through boxing, but if I was a guy who wanted to launder some money. I might want to take a look at boxing. <laughs> what, for a sport that only deals with cash-in-hand transactions? One of the last industries in this country post-COVID that still will do cash transactions. Yeah, yeah outside of drug dealing, it's probably the best way to launder money. I remember when Terry found a money launder outside a venue and got two tickets for a tenner. That's what... <laughs> that... But you wanted Davis. <laughs> That bloke, was, that bloke just all he cared about was getting cash through the door. Even if he had to pay no, like ninety p on the pound, he was just getting cash through the door. He had to pay booking fees higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like that—that that was what the Steve Bunts reference was. Was that he he slated the article? I've no issue with that. Cool. He didn't acknowledge the issue, which is he's old school. He's like, oh, boxing deserves money because it takes kids off the street. They were otherwise going to become fucking arms dealers. They were going to become this, that and the other. They're going to go and stab people. They never did that because of boxing. Cool. I hate that narrative. I fucking hate that narrative. Because Because football just takes kids from the upper classes and turns them into footballers, doesn't it? 
yeah, look, like boxing is a fantastic sport and it does great things, but this notion that boxing gyms reduce crime rates by 50% is nonsense. Show me the stats. Well, it's just in simple terms. I'll tell you what boxing is. It's a bunch of insecure guys with gray hair who then go, I can get the government to pay for me to live out my hobby. I can run a gym, the government will pay for it, I can get a little wage for myself, and I can be here training, and I can have my mates come over, and we can sit there, we can eat biscuits and talk about the old days. I need to go and get some more wines, you two carry on. Yeah. So, for Andy, just by way of context, what ended up happening was, and this, so the, the, the minutes from the England board meetings, the England Boxing board meetings are freely available on their website. Yeah. They never discussed the strategy for getting funding. They never said, how do we get funding? They never said, how, how do we approach the government? How do we lobby? If you remember, Anders, I don't know how close you were to it. As soon as they locked down football, the FA was straight on to the government, going, we need money. Yeah. We're not going to be able to run for the next six months. They were proactive. Rugby, we're going to lose 50 million a year if the government doesn't help us. And that's the end of rugby. Boxing said nothing of the sort. And so when it came time to hand the money out, all these other sports had done their lobbying because they found all the MPs who were friendly to their sport and they were doing the representation and they got money. Boxing would have had money had someone from the governing body on the amateur side come and said, this is how much money we need. They would have got money. No one even thought to do that. That's the problem with amateur boxing. Like I said, amateur boxing is a bunch of people who just don't want to stop being involved in boxing. That's it. It's not a serious sport in the sense of governance and structures. It's just a load of hobbyists that get together and let young men and women fight each other. And that's the sad part about it. See, I'm not... I don't agree with Martin in that if it was governed properly, it'd be shut down tomorrow, I think was his quote. And I'll, I'll change him. Well, no, no, he's 100% right. If, if you were to scrutinise the inner workings of boxing. So if you were to seize Eddie Hearn's laptop and communication devices and Frank Warren's laptop and communication devices, you couldn't let boxing carry on. It's like, do you remember when they raided Bob Arum's office because they accused Bob Arum of, of fixing fights? Like, Arum had to lay low for a bit because that was toxic to him. The same way that in the 80s, we talked about this on the New Age, ages ago, when they raided Don King and it turned out Don King was basically having lunch with the five families of New York, the five mafia And they, they were agreeing where the money would go and they were agreeing who would do what. When you dig under the surface of boxing, Andy, it, it is essentially money moving around. And a lot of times you don't know where the money started and you don't know where the money ended. You just know what you're supposed to get out of it and that's all you know. I, I Okay, I accept that. But uh, so, Maya, I just said to Terry, I... That I quoted what you'd said about if it was governed properly, it'd be shut down tomorrow. And I said that I disagreed with that. And that's what Larry uh, <coughs> Terry led Terry on to say that it would do simply on the basis that there is a lot of corruption to sum up what he sort of said. But then I'm thinking, now, <coughs> I, I, I am. It's not only that. It's not only that. It's also, if you added in the fact it's an inherently dangerous sport. So what are you doing to increase the, well, sorry, reduce the risk of uh, the but, sport? But like, you, you have seen that continue. They don't, don't they? I mean, you are. Maybe they're not 
pinups for the for this fucking governance. But like UFC continues, uh, Bellator continues, and they're sort of they've got at least bodies overarching the sport more so than more so than boxing. No, they don't. Who, who, who overarches MMA? No, it doesn't. But like, but like everyone. Under well, there you your, go. But, <laughs> so you've undone your own argument. No, because we, boxing doesn't have similar similar things to UFC, does it? Like, what does it have to UFC or Bell, uh, Bellator? Or are, are you going to say that that's well, like Frank well, Warren and and no, Matt it, so the, it has a risk. My point is, like, it's, it's a dangerous sport. And if you accept, if you accept, there's a baseline level of five, which is the danger, right? Say football is a three. And rugby might be a six. Okay? Accept that as like the baseline. Whether they're right or wrong, accept that. <clears throat> now, as long as you're always looking to make that safer, so if rugby union is working to make it better than a six and football is working to make it better than a four, cool. Then as long as you're always working to make that sport safer, then you can continue. What is boxing doing to make it safer? But wouldn't this be part of the responsibility of the new governing body. How would you yeah, get a would, but body? there isn't a governing body. So it's my point that if you if you properly governed it, then yes, perhaps you would make it their responsibility. But as it stands right now, if you were to say, right, you're now governed by X, X would walk in and go, nah, this is total bollocks. Your fucking money comes from anywhere. And right, your safety mean. practices and measures are next to zero so, outside of, oh, we've got an anaesthetist. So no, you're not saying it's ungovernable. You're saying that it's, the sport is in such a mess that... I'm not saying it's ungovernable. I'm no. saying it's ungoverned. Right, okay. But Andy, look at it like this, right? It's like you do a GCSEs, don't you? You've got schools and you've got exam boards. They're not the same institution. The school goes to the exam board and says, we need to validate our kids and their level of learning. And the exam board goes, we've got these exams for you. Now, over the years, you go, actually, these exams are too hard. We might go to another governing board, another awarding body. Yeah? I might go from AQA to OCA. And so you end up having that scenario. And boxing's like that. So it's like, well, I could go the WBC route. Oh, yeah, they want, they want three and a half percent of the, of the person. Uh, let me go, the, I'll go the IBO route. No, well, they want one and a half percent. So you have that until you have something like you have in football, where the governing body controls the participants and the validation process. Until you have that, boxing can't really be governed. <clears throat> it just seems it just seems to be that with that governance process, every boxer now, every high profile no, that's not quite true, but like High-profile boxers seem to find it as part of something like a, a part of their legacy that they want to introduce a new governing body. Like how hard Chris Eubank and fucking Joshua have been pushing the IBO. There may be others, but they're the two. Uh, that mate, I... they're, they're actually sanctioning bodies. So <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but anyway, I like they've been pushing them so hard, and yet everyone says about oh the four belts, and yet. Joshua will go on BBC Breakfast. This is quite a while ago, but he'll say, they'll say, oh, so what, what belts do you have? Well, I have four and Fury has one. And it's like, well, no, that's not true. But he's just so desperate to push this narrative that we've got the IBO as part of a thing. But is it, is it the point where it doesn't matter if there's 10 or if there's five? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I accept that. 
But and and so that isn't. I, I don't have an issue with that. Like whatever, just crack on. Have fifteen belts for all I care. We can decide what's newsworthy or what's not as fans. But I go back to the governing issue and the governance. All I would ask, and I'm no longer a license holder, so I can't ask the question, unfortunately, of the British Boxing Board of Control, and I'll write them a letter maybe and ask, what are the five biggest safety measures they've brought into boxing over the last 12 months? Could you ask the question of the last 10 years and get a decent response? Like, what has changed Uh, in the last 10 years? The last 10 years, they wouldn't have done... No, they wouldn't have have done enough... It's broadly static, yeah. What? Sorry, Terry? It's it's broadly static, so it's just a couple of ambulances, paramedics, doctor on site, anaesthetist, defibrillator... No, but that comes back to... uh, That comes back to Eubank Watson. That's not the last 10 years. Yeah. The last 10 years, there's going to be very little at all. <laughs> Maybe add another layer of wrapping to the gloves or underneath the gloves yeah. on the hand wraps. I don't know. We're, like... still, we're still doing the wrong MRI scans on boxes as well. I think, yep. I think yep. the reason I brought up the IBO was mainly because if your sanctioning body was, if you had one sanctioning body and it was you know, the elite side of it. You know, when we have briefly talked about the Muhammad Ali trophy, that could be the pinnacle of the sport. And they required you do this, this, this. They could basically be, they could be a governing body by stealth in effect of, if you want to compete in our competition, you these are... No, you need to have the two things separated. You can't have them together. I'm not saying they should, but it, if... I'm, but in lieu of the, in, in the absence of a governing... But a sanctioning body could say could take the, the lead forward and say, right, you have to, we have to do this, 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 this. And in order to compete for our competition, this, this, this. But because the, there's there's no, there's no, what's the... No, because, because ultimately their interest is, as long as you pay us X percentage, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all their interest is. <laughs> what is it Terry once put it as? Boxing is the aim of finding people with money and finding the quickest possible way to separate them from it. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the boxing grip. Well, Eddie Hearn was saying in a video the other day, wasn't he? He was like, well, you know, if we have, if we have Joshua Fury, then all of the, it might be for no belts because all the governing bodies, oh, sorry, all the sanctioned bodies are going to say, we want our percentage. Then they're going to ask for like 20%. And and frankly, you know, is, what, it was, I, what it was basically saying can was, I, can I'm I, not can giving I you all honest. that money. If, if Eddie Hearn had the stones to do that, he would rack it up. Like he shoot straight to Hall of Fame promoter immediately. If Hearn had the balls to go, Tyson, ditch your belt, AJ, ditch your belt, I will bring you guys 100 million each. Yep. If he had the balls to do that, we would never question him again. But sadly, <laughs> we know what he's doing. He's just doing that, that posturing nonsense, yeah. the clickbait. That's all it is. It's clickbait. He's got his little friendly outlet. You know, the, the camera jockeys love him. And that's all that happens. And no one really interrogates that and goes, okay, so two months ago, you said that you could do this with no belts. Where are we? On? No one ever does that. There's no follow Agree. It's great sound bites. So I take it there's no, uh, in terms of boxing's future, because coming full circle back to the funding argument, which is what led us here in the first place, um, for the same reason that we won't be getting funding introduced into boxing, 
there's not likely we're going to get any uh, proper governance or safety measures implemented anytime soon. No, and so, so when I, when I go back to to Steve Bunce, and as I say, he's got every right to question my article. And no, I don't write for an editor; I write for myself. Cool, no issue with that. What I would ask in return is that, given Steve Bunce has one of the biggest podcast platforms in the world, in the BBC, is why don't you do something that's worthwhile for fuck's sake? Rather than go into Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, why not ask questions about the RICO Act of Daniel Kinahan in America? Why not ask questions about the governance of the sport in the UK? Why not do something that questions the establishment rather than sucking the cock of the people that you give a shit about? Or, or when he goes to Saudi Arabia and him and Mike Costello spent the whole fucking week or whatever it was saying how beautiful Saudi Arabia was and how it had surpassed their expectations. All and expenses. Fucking get a grip, lads. Get a grip. You know yeah. so that's my issue. That's my issue. Not not with the fact that he criticised my article because that's cool. My article's there for criticism. What I would criticise is the fact that you use your platform to basically be a fluffer. <laughs> that is the most perfect Steve. description of Steve Bunn. Do you know what? No, no, but do you know what Steve Bunce is, right? Steve Bunce is a Belgian Malinois. That's all he is. He's a Belgian Malinois. And you literally point and say, get it. That's what these guys do. So when something happens in boxing, do you remember they did it with Mia St. John, where she said, look, yes. I took drugs. And every everyone I knew in my circle also took steroids. And so someone said, Bunce, you need to jump on this woman. Glenn. How dare she reveal the truth? Wow real savage piece of Mia St. John, which I thought was disrespectful and disgraceful. And, you know, not something she deserved because, and I've said this numerous times, you're never going to hear about doping and sport from the people who are getting away with it. I mean, you're not, right? You're always going to hear from the people who got caught. Yep. So you can't discredit them for getting caught because, like, this is the only way we learn. Yep. So for, from now on, should we have to refer to Bunsey? Could you please refer to him as a fluffer? Or Barry Gibb. Fluffer, <laughs> Fluffer B. But look, here's the thing that worries me about boxing, right? We're going to get to a point where kids wouldn't have boxed as amateurs for a year. You can do all the training you want and, and GB are wasting money in these silly little training camps in the States and in Bulgaria and whatnot. They are wasting money. Yeah, remember, we didn't get any money from the government and they're still wasting money on this, right? Yep. And no, no one has even checked them on that. Like, well, hold on. We don't even know if the Olympics are going to happen. What the fuck are you doing all of this for? And all those kids are turning pro anyway, so you've just wasted your money. So the kids aren't boxing. The kids aren't even coming into the train when the gyms are open because, like, well, what am I doing it for? So you're actually now risking a real talent train. And it's not going to happen this year, but four or five years down the line, when we do another one of these get-togethers and we're set and <laughs> someone, you know, I don't know who it would have been, Senor Tasty will say, why are there no talented kids coming through? And we'll come back to this year and go, this was a year that we lost a load of talented kids to the sport, not to the pros, to the sport. Yep, <clears throat> agree. Um, I'm going to give you some quick questions that I've asked uh, for, and I won't be going through all of them, but just to quickly... Um, <laughs> so Babs asks, does Terry think the sport is entirely doomed in the UK? No. Think. we've got Fury, we've got Joshua, there's money there. We've got Dillian White, there's still money there. Derek is hanging in there by a thread, but there's still <laughs> money there. <Yeah. laughs> it's so true. 
<laughs> there, there, there's money there. David Hayes. I mean, David David Hayes on his own grip. Like this is the word of the week, man. Grifting. David Hayes on his own kind of half manager, half promoter grip. He's obviously. I mean, he's looking at his own situation. And there's um, you've got there's a load of- the juggernaut. There's Daniel Dubois. There's still yeah. money there. There's Yard, there's Lyndon Arthur. There are people who we're interested in and we're excited by. So I'm I'm buzzing about that. The downside, and I know Babs was waiting for this, the downside is it's taking too long to put these guys together. That's why, look, for example, that's why I've enjoyed watching Dan Aziz, Andre Sterling. I've enjoyed watching Craig Bridges, Shikan Pitts. I've enjoyed watching these young guys, Yard, Arthur. I've enjoyed watching these young guys get, get into each other. But now look, where's Joshua Boatsy on this? You know, he's not involved. So then I'm like, agree. But shout out to Craig Richards. He made he made me some decent money that night. Yeah, on the icing. Yep. Um, Five to one I got on him. Yeah, no, that didn't surprise me. I'm proud of him. Because look, remember remember when he, he fought Frank and I said, look at how Hearn treats his self-made guys. Because Craig's not a match from creation, he's built himself up. Remember when Craig came and trolled our live show? Shout what out, Craig. Do you know what? Do you know what? I think it was that that was the sparring that turned him into a champion. <laughs> <laughs> that was the mental toughness that he needed. Yeah, you know, once you survive a grilling from us, you're all good. I heard, so, I heard his corner going into the eighth round, so remember that live show, Craig. Yeah, think of what they'll say if you lose. His corner were there <laughs> with him at the time. We were, we were, whilst we were verbally spying with him, he had the towel around his neck, he was getting massaged and he put in his gum shield in. <laughs> but, no, no, no. Turn all that round, like, I love the fact, when I look back at it, Craig Richards turned up to our live show to have a pop back at us and we had a pop back at him and it was all good fun and we all yeah. had a drink in the bar afterwards. He went on to win that British title on Channel 5 in front of a decent viewership. I was, fuck, I was well chuffed for him. I was well chuffed for him. He's, um, look, he's when I when I look at like the archetypal boxer, Craig's that guy because he has so many elements to him. Like he's he's fan friendly. He goes to shows at all levels. You'll see him at your call. You'll see him at a Heliot show. You'll see Craig out and about. You'll see him at Brentwood. I like people who are involved in the sport. So I'm excited because I love these characters. Like I love Andre Sterling. I think Andre Sterling is one of the most compelling people in British boxing because. He has so many layers to him. Like, and I've known him for like 12, 13 years. And he's a special kid. Dan Aziz, you know, just the gentleman with maybe the most brutal punch. Like, look, he spied George Groves. That was Groves' career done. He spied Darren Till. Darren Till's career has never been the same. <laughs> Dan Aziz is the Grim Reaper. Like, don't spy Dan Aziz. He is the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Not Till. Till, don't, till, don't tell them that, Till. He's but he's one of the greatest human beings I've met. Dan Aziz is a special man. Even guys like Adrian Martin. Look, Adrian Martin now is like, I'll fight anyone, A side, B side. I want to get stuck in. COVID's made people hungry again. Now, promoters don't fuck it up. Like, I was watching Tommy Frank. Like, that was a compelling fight. I felt for Tommy. But what a compelling fight to watch a lad boxing with one arm. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. In a car park. And all the all the horns go, dee, 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 dee. and I'm just like, there's so much good stuff happening in British boxing. It's getting ruined by the guys who are trying to basically rape it for their own benefit, like Hearn and Warren and so forth. 
just they need to put the egos to the side. They just go, We'll all make more money if we make these five thousand. Well, mate, do you remember do you remember when Warren put that fucking poster up saying Anthony Yard, Joshua Buatzi, Dillian White, um Yes. So Joyce was it? I can't remember who he put him in against. Derek Chisora. Oh, that was Derek Chisora, Joe Joyce. Um, Dillian Dubois. Yeah, that was it. And like he put all that up, and then the IFL interviews about two months later with them going, ah, fucking Hearn, ain't no mandatory anymore. <laughs> and look, and see, this is the point. So I want to say, Babs, answer to your question. I'm excited about the talent we've got at the moment. I'm I'm less excited about the people who are regulating how that talent. Well, that do you know what you do? You know what you'd be excited about, right? If the Man City style owner came in and just went, ah, fuck it, I've got fifty billion pounds. You're all mine now. Now you'd be excited. But wasn't that what supposed to happen with the billion? For the zone. That was America. That was America, to be fair. That's not the UK. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are we going to? Can we put the zone on the agenda? Because <laughs> yeah. Um, right, but but just... yeah. I mean, what what that was about was America, and that never happened there. So your point is valid. But in the UK, if someone came in and said, "Look, I've got fifty billion pound. I'm going to buy your organisation and your organisation, and now you're all going to fight." then that works. As Terry says, there's enough talent there to make it a brilliant scene. What there isn't is enough talent to make it two brilliant scenes. Mm. And all That's you need to do is all you need to do is invest in two two of the best boxing stables in Britain and a couple of writers from WWE to concoct some storylines. And then you need you need a fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> yes you do. Yeah. Um John Bader, this, this, you've already sort of. <laughs> you need someone to do that to the entire board. I'm not, I'm not going to actually. I think people can use their imaginations to what that sound was. But no, deep throwing. Those, those eyes are not the sort of image I want to remember. <laughs> those eyes would be watering by the end of it. Uh, John Bailey asked, when we are back to some kind of normal. The competition when did you put out questions, by the way. About uh how how long ago? It was half an hour ago. Did you? Fucking yeah. hell. Um yeah. when we are back to some kind of normal, the competition for public cash is gonna be strong. Arena's gonna be booked out every week with bands, comedians, holidays and nights out with mates will be needed. What does boxing have to do to get your money as a priority? Now to some extent you've touched on that, but that's why I wanted that's to That's a ask great it. question, to be fair. Yeah. And it's true. Well, presumably, people need to stop fucking marinating these fucking fights for months on end, months on end. Yeah, because you're you're competing for nights out with comedians, for nights out with MC Angel. <laughs> well, you know, it's been it's been such a lockdown that people want to hear those four lines again. They're just bam, like, bam, 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 reload, bam, we're ready. Can I be brutally oh, honest, right? That's my wings. If someone says to me, right, we're going to pause all this lockdown and all this bullshit restrictions for a week. Everyone's got a week to do what the F they want. Boxing is going to be the last thing on my mind. Agree. Like, this is boxing's problem. 
when you let me off the leash, I don't care about anything to do with boxing. I boxing really is care. boxing is week three to four. Yeah. Do you remember what we said at the beginning, Martin? We said this was boxing's chance to give back to the fans. To say, do you know what? We can't give you the fights you want because there are no crowds, right? But here's us trying to help you. And there was nothing in that vault. There was nothing in the locker they could give what, what, Can you give me an example as to what you would have expected with that? You know, give me an example of what you what, what okay. they could have done so to give, give you, back. Okay, so they could have got all of these guys in the studio, right? Whoever they are. You could have got, I don't know. They could have done the, the fights that never happened. Right? So you no, you, got, what you could have done is got Fury, White and Joshua sat around the table. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That would be that would be good for There's you. There's no reason why you couldn't have done that from five meters apart, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I that that okay, could work so, its way across the board. You could get pretty much three three you could you get could have got all the Smith brothers telling us about how they lost all their belts. So so Andy, the big the biggest thing to have happened on Instagram in this whole lockdown in twenty twenty was a thing called Versus, right? So Versus was Artist X versus Artist Y, and they go track for track, right? You, one guy has 20 tracks, the other guy has 20 tracks. And I remember... How many did MC Angel have? Oh, mate, like, he was kind. He just kept it down to the first 10 albums. <laughs> I, did, I just yeah. so, I just MC'd across all of the tracks. Yeah. No, no, so, so you had Erica Badu and Jill Scott. This is the one I remember. It crossed over one and a half million live concurrent views. Not those fake views that Rob Tebbin and Coogan do. These were real live concurrent views. And it basically, it broke Instagram because they'd never had anything operate to that scale before. And so you're looking at that going, you could have got Tyson Fury on an Instagram live and Anthony Joshua. And that would have done similar numbers. That would have broken Instagram. That Can I tell you what would have done bigger numbers? Hearn and Warren. Oh shit. Barry Hearn and Warren. No, just like no, I'm not talking about, stop him having I'm the medication the for a week. Barry Hearn. I'm talking about his son. <laughs> stop him having their medication for a week and just let him fucking go at it like two <laughs> cats it, scrapping it, the street. For all we you know, we've heard that. Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren have only ever bypassed one another outside a restaurant for like two minutes. And then they built up the entire narrative around they were going to meet for lunch. Now, you don't have the sport with fans there and you still can't record a fucking Zoom interview with the two of them. Fuck off. Um, Bin, lot of you. And, and, and so these are all the missed opportunities boxing's had. Boxing could have been so creative. Like, I remember there was a point where, and I'm going to give him a shout out. But, hey, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a friend. Denzel Bentley. There was a period where Denzel was on everyone's channel. He was everywhere. And then he goes on to, to give you two really good fights with Hefford, wins the British title, and basically goes on a world tour with this belt. No one actually knows where the belt is right now. But he's... He's lived his dream. Like 2020, Denzel's lived his dream. And it's sad that more boxers haven't done that. But if you notice with Denzel Bentley, you've never heard Denzel swerve a fight. Do you want to fight Hefron? Yeah, I'll fight Hefron. And now, you know what? Look, he's told me some names of guys he wants to fight. 
And they're all ranked like WBO, WBA, top five. He's our fight, these guys. Why not? And I'm like, that's the spirit. Promoters don't get in the way of that because we want to ride that wave. I... Umar Sadiq going to Russia, Jermaine Brown going to Russia, all these guys going to the Far East and taking these risks. And t- Terry, that's been really good. Is um is Lawrence Akoli going to be a heavyweight? I think eventually. I think he just wants to clean up the cruiser. Can he? Can he? Would he? Would he be at home at heavyweight? So Lawrence isn't a naturally big guy, so he's not like because he looked really. Sm- he looks. I mean, in, bo- in heavyweight terms, he looks slight to me. That's why I realise he's trimmed down for cruiserweight. But I yeah. just thought to myself, you don't look like someone who's going to impose yourself on the heavyweight scene. Okay, so so Lawrence is six foot five, a real six foot five, not 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 this manufactured six five. He's six foot five, and if you put him next to Joshua, his shoulders are wider than Joshua's. Okay. So you can fill that frame with mass if you want to. Right? Yeah. You can fill it. And, and he'd, he'd be comfortable at 16 and a half, 17 stone, and he'd, he'd take heads off. Yeah. So I'm less worried about him and Richard Riappel, two guys who will legit like, walk into that heavyweight division and be, I mean, be pretty dangerous. So know? he because genuinely like friend, is going to be a threat if he moves up then? Well, so it's, it's, look, it's not that easy. So my friend Big Joe, who... Is apparently He's fighting Tony Yoka, isn't he? Yeah, you know, and big. What I love Big Joe is he doesn't even run. Like, like Big Joe's like the Congolese legend. And so you're like, you're Big Joe, you're going to fight Tony? Yes, I fight Tony. What the fuck? Yes, yeah, I fight him now. You, that's it. It's for the EBU yeah. title. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to see. Like, uh, listen, man, I, I, I want to get a French license. I want to be in the corner for that because, like. If the stories I heard about Big Joe being a France are true, mate, it goes off at the after party. So it would be all right there. And also, I wouldn't mind tapping Yoko's missus. That's still, that's still mostly. I think Tony might. Hey, we can fight for it. Like that's Get undisputed. Like There's some prizes worth fighting for. I love the fact he gets to like the 12th round and then Terry, get, he's got the money in the bank briefcase, slides it under the ring ropes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Chapman Dam has taken his chance. <laughs> Starts piling into Yoka. He's about to climb the mountain. He's going to climb that mountain. Oh my God! He's done it. Right. Uh, before we move on from Tony smashing, uh, sorry, Tony Terry smashing Tony Yoka's misses. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Andy, I know you're lining up more questions, but I've only got half an hour left, and I'm doing on a uh, a family Zoom call. What? I know. I know. Can't we merge um, the two? Sorry? Can't we merge the two? <laughs> well, it'll be a very, very shit podcast, but I'd imagine the rest of this <laughs> anyway, so it's fine. I've rolled a five. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, mate, don't. It's a preemption to how wank it'll be. But um, in case my dad's listening, I'll carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Terry, I need to pull you up. Oh, shit. Oh, at least it's not. No, no, no. It, it's it's a, a debatable point, so I'm willing to accept I might be in the wrong, whatever. But, <clears throat> you know, I listen to all your podcasts. I listen to them because, shout out, anyone who doesn't listen to them, subscribe to um, Highfield Boxing, subscribe to all of them because, like, they are the ones that I listen to. When they come out, I listen to them the next day. Like, they're always the ones. Like, they're always fucking quality. 
dear world's got me sweating now. So now that I've laid the land, um, right, let's go back to the Daniel Dubois loss. Okay. And let's go back to the Anthony Yard loss. Yard loss. Okay. So, like, there were two different narratives around each of them. And I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to take you up on each of them. So all I'm doing is I'm I'm holding you to account like people would do, right? Yeah, Babs is Babs is coming in his pants at this point. Go on, get him, get him, get him. So go on then, like Anthony Yard loses to a man who's got one hand, Lyndon Arthur's left hand, not my right hand, as I have got on Zoom. He loses to a man who can only jab for a fight. He didn't even throw a hook. He only threw the jab. And on your podcast, you were pushing the fact that he should stay with Tunde mm-hmm. because that's the man. And I get what you were saying. Like, he's the man who's invested in him. He's the man, mm-hmm. not financially necessary, but personally. Yeah. Um, and then Daniel Dubois should look elsewhere after losing to Joe Joyce because Martin Bowers and co. can't take him any further. So okay. explain yeah. to me, like, where does, this, where does the difference lie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. So I'm not calling you out on it. I'm just. No, I, I want to pick up no. on what's the difference. Yeah. So remember, when I make these opinions, I I do it from a longitudinal perspective, right? So I do it from a guy who's. Don't give me the David story. Brent speech. Don't no, give me the no, 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 no. But, but, but everything's about context, Mark. A longitudinal well <laughs> and yeah, horizontal, but. In the way, uh, go some. <laughs> look at the whole pie. Look at the whole pie. Yeah, so so if you look at Daniel, so I've known Daniel since he was, what, 15, 14, 15? Excuse me. And I've known Anthony Yard since, I think I saw his first fight in January 2013, right? He's only got to buy 25 minutes, then you're fucking off to play Cluedo, so yeah. expect this speech, <laughs> no, expect no, this speech no, to go for a while. No. So when I watch Daniel Dubois box, that's the same Daniel Dubois I saw at Islands. That's the same Daniel Dubois I saw at the Fish. That's the same Daniel Dubois I saw at Dale U. Right? It's the same. There's no progression. Yes, they've added more muscle to him and they put him on some runs, but there's no progression. Yeah. I see the progression that Tunde's had with Anthony Yard year on year. I see that. Like, because I've kind of grown up with it. Like, in my life as a trainer, I've grown up with it. So I've seen, I've seen both guys up close. So for me, the difference is the Bowers got they were given a Rolls-Royce <clears throat> break. They were given a top-of-the-line vehicle, a Rolls-Royce Cullinan in Daniel Dubois. They were given him that. And they've taken the seats out and they've pulled down the upholstery <laughs> and they've got a roll cage in there. They've done all of these things that they think are good modifications where you're looking at that going, no, no, no that's, that's not what the car's about. Cool. No, okay. I, okay. I get now, the now with, now with, with Anthony Yard, the difference is <clears throat> Tunde basically took, I don't even know, like an Audi TT, right? And somehow he shoehorned an engine from a Bentley into that. Now, the problem with that is sometimes the chassis fucks up, but you can engineer around that. And I think, so that's the difference. I think Tunde can make more changes that will affect Anthony Yard in a positive way than the Bowles can, because he's demonstrated that. And I don't see the Bowles guys having demonstrated that. So that was the difference. 
Now, if we take you know, if we take it to a principle and say, do I think you should change trainers every time you lose? No. But if you're not learning and you're not developing, then then we've got to look at what should you be capable of. Because remember, they're at different ages as well. Yard's 29, Dubois, what, 22, 23? Yeah. So, so Dubois can make that move and it can still have a significant impact. Yard, if he moves now, we're just kind of tinkering at the edges. He is the boxer he's always going to be. And can I say, by the way, I completely agree when you went off on uh, Twitter about when Callum Smith lost to Canelo, why does nobody start saying, he ought to change trainer, he ought to do this? People have an issue with Tunde because he's a brash, loudmouth black man, right? Yeah. People have that issue. And, and, and I, you're, I'm okay with that, right? But own your bullshit. Yeah, own your bullshit and go, listen, Terry. I, I like guys who say, listen, Terry, the fact is I just don't like Tunde. And so I can't see past that. And then, you know what, I'll say, listen, hold the opinions you do, because at least you've been honest about what your limitations are in this discussion. When you try and intellectualize your hatred of someone, then I'm like, no, you, you're disrespecting me at this point. Now I've got to step out of the discussion. Because what happens every time, Mark, someone loses, go to Shane, go to Adam, go to Caldwell. Now, What's the reasoning? What's the reasoning? Yeah. So I've seen Shane up close, right? And I know what Shane's good at. But Shane wants a certain character type in his gym. That's why George did well there. That's why Chris Billum Smith did well. You know those kind of quiet guys, but they're quite witty and quite insane. You know what I mean? Those sorts of guys. Yeah. Shane, Shane likes guys like that, you know, who can laugh and joke. Would he be good with Anthony Yard? No, because Yard's a lot more intense. You know, you know what I mean? Like Lawrence is quite a quiet guy as well. Shane likes that in his gym. He likes a certain energy. And that's why he kind of struggled with David Hay, but he was okay with Josh and everyone else. So, so you can't just send everyone to Shane because he won't work with just everyone. People have been to his gym and he's like, I don't want to work with that person. And it's the same so, with Adam. If I go back to the question, hmm. and you, you reference it, the point about Yard being 29 years old. <clears throat> when you say about Tunde can make more changes than anyone else could, He's yeah. 29 years old. Like if he's had him from, I don't know, 22, 23, yeah. and developed him to the point he is now, but he mm -hmm. couldn't beat a man who only had one arm during that fight. Okay. What can he realistically do? What level can he take Yard to now that we haven't seen? If he couldn't give okay. him enough during so, that fight to beat a man who was clearly fucked. Okay, so for me, Yard has all the punches in the book. Right? He already has the power, he has the speed, he has the reflexes, he's got the defense. It might just be a question of physical and mental preparation. Right? So, you, so you're not actually dealing with the what, what most fans look at, the nuts and bolts of it. You're actually dealing with, let's take Yard to America, let him spar Joe Smith Jr., let him spar Eladia Alvarez, let him spar Baturbian. But he's not, not allowed to spar anyone, is he? No, no, that's, that's a myth. He's, he's always sparred. Like, he sparred guys like Sterling and so forth. Like, is that a but, myth? You know, is that a myth? Because I don't know. Yeah, no, he spars. He what he doesn't do is he doesn't do that 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 blood and guts, mate. Put it all that, in there, mate. That yeah. heavy, heavy sparring. Yeah, because that's that's that also like when you don't use that properly, that can also do you more harm than good. But look, 
I say this to all boxers and shouts out to, as I was speaking to Umar Sadiq, that Umar's been out in the States for a bit. You see what I mean? Like, go out there, go for three months and go and spar these guys who are, who are that level above you. I, and I said this about Dubois, Dubois should be the junior guy in someone's camp because he's still young enough to learn. Yes. The problem you have in London is these guys have God complexes because they go to the Peacock and they're big names there. But the reality is you're not learning, you're not moving forward because there's no one there to challenge you. And there's no one there to teach you because none of those guys have made a world champion. None of them. So why not go somewhere where they've made world champions and feel some of that? Because but, at least you're going to come back more educated. No, I get that. I get that. That's fine. So, yeah, I, it was one of the things I wanted to... Uh, we haven't spoken since those episodes. So I wanted to, uh, to live pull you up on it. No, that's fine. And so I stand by those views. If, if Daniel Dubois was 29, I'd have said, listen, it is what it is. Man. He, he, you're stuck in your situation. I'd have said that. And if Yard was 23, I'd say, mate, this might be your last chance to go and pursue greatness. Andy, uh, as you were. I'm going to apologise <laughs> to Bruce Howie for on the occasions that we have used, probably me mostly. Um, he says, can New Age Boxing not um, so much Sorry, not use um so much. Um, the Ring Talk podcast. Shut up. So, no, um... shut up, man. Listen, <laughs> listen. If you haven't got something serious, sit the fuck down, man. <laughs> so, what's his reference to the Ring Talk podcast? He said there was too much erring and erming. What on the Ring Talk podcast? Apparently, so. Nah, fuck him. Yeah, um, listen. Like you do it. Come on here and you do it, my friend. I'll and tell you think what, Bruce. Stuff in real time. Bruce, if you if you think I'm a professional, that's your issue, not mine. <laughs> There's enough evidence to show that none of us are professionals. However, shout out again, once again, to Terry and his Highfield Boxing Podcast, because the lack of um, um, and the fact that you do that as a one-man show for a half-hour podcast is, frankly, insane. It's like, it's mad that you can do that. Which one? Wait, of- somebody, half of them don't make it through. Like I'll record something. Oh shit! Now we've got. <laughs> I might do the outtakes one day. Now yeah, do. Now we've got that uh, out of the way. We'll get some serious questions going. Carl Franklin asks, "Which one of you three can hold your breath the longest?" I'm guessing it's right. not Martin. Go on, then. I'm free. One, two, three. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being silent. Fuck this guy. What's he trying to do? We've got minutes left with Martin. Hold your breath, Martin. You're going blue, by the way. Grass and can. <laughs> Look at him. Go on, mate. Hold it in. Hold it in. Hold it in. Get all sting and tantric. Oh. Look at him, man. What's he dancing to? That's like, like end dubs. <laughs> ah. I can see vapor coming out your nose with people. I can see that. Podcast gold. <sighs> yeah, look, well, I'm still holding my breath, by the way. I think mine's fucking breathing. <laughs> He was breathing. He was breathing from the start. Now I can see the vapor shooting out. 
mate, that's easy work. You two fat cunts can do it. <laughs> I was thinking Can't to myself, work. I'm not sure why I've indulged Carl Franklin's ridiculous question. <laughs> hey, listen, no, no, you know what? We should have done what Tris Dixon did. Just made people ask questions on Patreon. Um, I'm also... That's true. Because all you've got to do to be Tris Dixon, it turns out, is get a divorce, whinge about it, and then ask for money off Patreon. <laughs> How many patrons has he got? Four. Do you think they're there for the boxing content or the CrossFit videos? No, I think I think he's there to pre-fluff Buncey. <laughs> oh, bless him. You know, I feel for Tris, right? Because... I'm sure Tris, and this is what happens, Martin, you know this, right? People will see what we do and they'll see the the attention and the interest that our our shows do. And they'll go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Like Peter McDonough tried it. And it's been sad to watch because I quite like Peter McDonough, but it's not doing numbers. I've seen Chris Billum Smith's pod, it's not doing numbers. Eddie Hearn's no passion, no point. According to my mates at the BBC, doesn't do the numbers. So, well, you said the other day on yours, if you got Maya Jammer, your numbers would be akin. Mate, the, the podcast numbers would be insane and the xvideos.com numbers would be through the roof. <laughs> the, the OnlyFans subscriptions would go up. Oh, mate, shout out to my ladies with the OnlyFans grift, man. Shout out to the... That's the it's the best grift of 2020 after Anthony found on CBD. Well, Terry, I've, I've got about 10 minutes. Do you want to hit on grifting? So grifting is just, it's just any, any kind of hustle for me. And you know those sort of shameless hustles? Like, like you know where you get the furlough money and then you've got the OnlyFans grift? Yes, you've got the furlough <laughs> money, you've got the OnlyFans grift, and then you've got the Amazon delivery grift. Right? So, so you end up making more money than you were before the lockdown. And they're, they're, you're, getting they're, you're getting an 80% furlough pay. You're getting yeah. that 250 quid a month for showing your fanny off on OnlyFans. And oh, then you're also some delivering 100 for some of it. Some women are doing 1,500 quid a month. Nice. You know what I mean? And then you got the shouts out to the ladies doing the in calls and the out calls for 120 quid. The grifts are real. Like, I, I love watching people grifting. Like, that makes me smile because you see all these boxes set at home waiting for the phone to ring. I'm like, look, everyone else has just got on their grind. Delivery drive. What you were saying about Anthony Fowler the other day? Ah, Fowler's, that CBD grip. Because remember, he was early with it when we were all laughing at it. And now we're not laughing because he's the CBD guy in boxing. I saw him the other day putting up a tweet saying, if I gave it away any cheaper, literally any cheaper, I would be losing money. Which by definition says that he's making a one pence profit on every bottle. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Or he's always oh, breaking man. even, surely. Oh, or he's man. breaking even. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I believe his, his claim. Oh, man, he's I believe in this so that. much that I'm doing it for zero profit. And unless he's I'll like punch guys when they're on their knees, but I won't take advantage of people with CBD oil. It's just too close to my heart. Oh, actually, 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 look, look, make it boxing related. Shouts out to Melody Joy's OnlyFans grift. That's the boxing grift of choice right now. Who's like, that? <laughs> Who's that? So, um, what's it? What's she called? Like, her name's like the beauty of boxing. So she's one of those like boxing girls that hang out with Ebony Bridges and all that. Is it Ebony okay. Bridges? Yeah. So, like, she'll 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 be on Twitter. She'll just get her tips out a bit. They're 
she knows how to present them. They're not, they're not, they're not humongous, but they're well presented. You can right. You've got Andy Hook to carry on. Yeah, and then and then she's got the OnlyFans that she's not even ashamed of. Now the thing is, like this is why I felt sorry for it. She picked a fight with Sammy Edwards, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit here and watch this. You know, you're like, I'm like, I'm gonna unblock you briefly so I can watch this fight. Like, okay. You've got common ground. Well, no. So with Sunny, they wouldn't let me into your call the time he was in there. There was a time he was in your call. I was like, yo, let me in there. I want to see Sunny Edwards. And they're like, no. And the alien came out. No, you can't come in there. What are you on about? I was like, listen, I want to come and slap Sunny Edwards. And they wouldn't let me. You know Did I mean? she like, weigh more I... than Sunny Edwards? Sunny Edwards would get beaten up by year seven, man. Like, let's stop dicking around. Like, he well, so did Andy when he was MC Angel. I don't think Sonny can MC, but now nah, he'd, he'd get pressured by these kids. Now he, he can't, he can't come out here, no midget motherfucker. I'll dwarf toss him. You know what I mean? Andy, we've got more questions. Um, yeah, hold on. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna get back to it. Yeah, you got shout five. Out the Melody Joy, yeah, the Melody Joy OnlyFans grift. Keep grifting. 2021. With, I want more grifting. With Ed Robinson now in charge, uh, can you see an improvement to Sky's boxing output? In charge of what? Uh, Sky's boxing output, apparently. Has he replaced Barney? I don't know. Ask me. I don't run a boxing podcast. I can't even text Rygate to find out. Ed Robinson's thorough. Ed Robinson's the real boxing guy. Like, you can't bullshit Ed when it comes to boxing. Mm -hmm. And and what I like about Ed is Ed's done it the right way. Like, he came up, I think he was doing publicity for Frank Maloney back in the day. And he's done some writing. He's done some broadcast. He's done everything in boxing. That's why I'm like he's thorough. So I'm hoping that he can put pressure on whoever needs to pressure to start getting better quality fights because you won't be able to bullshit him. You'll know records. You'll know who can fight. So fair play to Ed. Um, interesting fact about Ed. I think he's one of the first people to get one of those modular homes. You know, like the prefab homes. Well, really? I think so. I might be wrong on that. That's something like that. He looks like he's, a bit of a borrower, to be fair. He's just a good... Ed Robinson's a good guy. People forget he had a couple of pro fights as well. <laughs> Ed will put hands on you. I've got, I'm, I'm just... I like Ed Robinson as a human being. I think he was always he was always the highlight of ringside. Yeah. Um, so, no. So, if, if, he, if he is in charge, and I'll, you know, I'll check this off, obviously, later, I think he can take Sky in a different direction. Hopefully, it's... He can tread that balance between... The pizzazz of Hearn, but make you real fights at the same time, like Al Haven stuff. And then Adam Smith can try and get that job at the zone of the head of boxing that I heard he tried to get about 18 months ago. Oh, man. Um, so, that's specifically for Bruce Howie. Don, mm. uh, Donald Smith asks, who do you guys think is the biggest prospect in the UK in boxing? Well, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't mention boxing, Listen, he is. Donald Smith is, and here's why. Yeah? When when Joshua lost, they all ignored him. They said, no, nah, we don't want to work with Don. And Don just kept his counsel and kept training people, kept, I mean, kept his social media profile going. And then when I saw that he was working with the Joshua camp for the Pula fight, I was like, remember when people said, Terry, you just get your mates on podcasts. And I was like, no, 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 Don's a talented guy. So he crossed over. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him. 
as a trainer, that's a guy to look out for. Um, in terms of prospects, does Envy Scottney count as one? Because like I've been saying this for the longest time, yeah. I think Envy Scottney is the truth. If you if so you help. need there are various people out there that will still um, question and doubt the integrity and um, meaning of Terry as a trainer. So go back and listen to the podcast that he did with Don Smith. And Don, who people should know by now, has been in with Joshua and been working in that camp. Go back and listen to that episode and you'll start to hear some of the um, the mutual understanding between the two. I don't think I'm blowing smoke up your ass there, Terry, by saying that. No. Maybe. Ooh, it's ticklish. <laughs> but it's nice to see. Way, like, that, that is a really good episode. That Well, the two episodes, because yeah. you fucking spanned it out somewhat. You, you fucking milked that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, he did. Oh, you well, see his that. smirk before he said no. <laughs> Total bullshit. You, you, listen, listen, you, you, listen, two, I, you two, if I asked you two what time it was, you'd tell me how to build a clock. <laughs> yeah, listen, man, like, like I had to grift out those numbers. I had to get my numbers up. Grift. Right? It was a, it was a time. Word for 2020. I was up against, was up against behind But that said, that said, I really, I really like Donald Smith, right? That dude, fucking, he talks a good game. He's a nice bloke. He's brilliant on social media. Shout out Donald Smith. Right. And his stable's really good. So he's got two heavyweights, Courtney Bennett, who, like, I obviously I know really well, Jamie Shakiba, who I know really well, both super skilled and super talented. Like, I'm seeing them, I mean, they're, they're slapping guys about, man, and I'm proud of them. Yeah. He's um, got a young kid, Aidan Muhammad, who's just signed with Frank and will be debuting, I think, early next year. He looks a special talent as well. I saw him doing the ADAs, and he looks a special talent at the lower weight classes. Got a bit of Louis Lynn about him, which is good. So, yeah, Don's got a really good stable. Like, he, I'm not going to say he lucked out because he's done all of his years in the background. People don't, people forget they used to see him in the videos with Conor Ben, with Craig Richards, with Ted Cheeseman. He's but they never there. knew who he was. Yeah, now it's his time to cross over 2021. So, my, my biggest prospect, um, that my prospects always come from the small hall, but with no small hall over the last 12 months, pretty much, it's difficult. But uh, William Webber. William Webber's the one he got um, fucked over on his matchroom debut. He got knocked out in the first round of your call against uh, Nwankwo, the geezer that Yudokia beat on the Hay Show. But he was too young. He was like 18, 19 years old. And he's gone on and he's developing into a young man who's a serious talent. Like, you need to go and... William Webber, when he gets an opportunity again, starts stepping up. Like, just keep an eye on him. Uh, What's that... Steve raving about? Because, you know, I tell you, because I'm just thinking of Steve fighters we saw during the, the lockdown. I thought Jerome Campbell acquitted himself really well. Yeah, he did. Against Nick Bull, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought, I thought if Jerome had done that before, I think the fight would have been different. I think his first time going through all of that might have thrown him a bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, big Phil Williams up in uh, Sheffield. Ah, against no. Cash Alley. Shouts out to Cash. Beep, beep, beep. Ob- obviously, Linus Judofia will uh, ice Denzel Bentley in a round. Ah, come on, man. Be serious. <laughs> Be serious. 
Listen, what a fight, what a fight. I'd love to see no, it. No, no, I want to see, honestly, I want to see Denzel versus Triple G. Like, we need to work out who the real Golovkin is. Let those two go at it. I don't well, know, not 12 rounds, four rounds, those two. And you know what they should do? Remember in school, you used to have the dead arm fight at school? Yeah. So you had to, you had to drop your hands and I hit you, you hit me. I want to so, see those two guys do that. Just for clarification, Terry, have we got the black Golovkin and Golovkin? Mm. A hundred percent. That would be, I, I'd sit and just watch that. Just say, whose chin can withstand the onslaught? So right. in, just to tell you, just to tell you, I, I remember I, I was training with Dems in, in the summer during the lockdown and he dislocated my wrist. Like no one's done that before. Like he dislocated my wrist with a left hook and it fucked me for months. You know, this, I think this is the first time I've mentioned this, but yeah, he dis and I because he did it at the time, and my pride took over, and I was trying to let him know I'm hurt. But I was like, fucking hell, man. Imagine getting hit by this in 10-ounce gloves. Nah. Right, boys, I need to leave. Ah. How many questions you got left, Andy? Uh, just one, which was, apart from Usyk, who has Joe Joyce got? Who can reasonably, who can reasonably fight? He'll, he won't beat White, and he will smash Chisora. Denzel Bentley. Yeah, no, 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 no. Joe's got to build up to that. <laughs> that was from Simon Thompson. Okay. You boys carry on. Finish off. Um, all you listeners, I love you all. Have a great 2021. Hope you had a fantastic Christmas. Terry, Andy, I love you. Um, love you too, man. Good. I'll, I'll catch love you it. next year. Say hello to the family yes. for me. Yeah, 100%. Shall do. You take care, boys. See you later, mate. See ya. And he's away. All right, so what else do we need to touch on? So, Usyk, let's put, put him in with Hergovic. Like, let those 2016 guys start fighting each other now. It's time. Joe can fight Hergovic. Um, Yoko will fight Big Joe. And then the winners of those two will fight for the EBU. Then you just move on from there. Simon Thompson also asked, how does Terry know so much about Bristol? Uh, she's going to be mad at saying it, but Winnie lives in Bristol, right? So oh, okay. that's part of the answer. So that's how I know that part that he's referencing. But I used to live in Bristol in 2009. So I used to train out of the Empire with the Standard Guards and like guys like Lee Haskins back in the day. So I know Bristol pretty well. So back then, Simon, just so you know, I used to live, initially I lived in St. George, and then I got one of the flats above Cabot Circus. And I used to work on Bridge Street, uh, Baldwin House. So I used to walk across to that pub. I think it was a fish market. They used to serve Fruity, which was a strawberry beer at the time. So every Friday, I'd get hammered on that. Strawberry then, beer? It's all right, actually. You can't have too many of them, but it's all right. And then the apple, obviously. Like, Simon will know about the apple in the summer. You know, a lot of, a lot of dalliances will commence there. We, um, when I was based in Germany, I used to have this stuff called strawberry vodka. And it was made uh, from like it was seven percent, and it was made from like strawberry pulp. So what what made wait, me wait wait how was it vodka seven percent? Well, this I think it was basically strawberry pulp with added vodka, but they, people used to call it strawberry vodka. It was just like I don't know, it was like oh. some weird smoothie drink. We used to sell it in bottles, oh. and you just people would just like neck it before they went out. But you just get so wrecked on it. It was. It was revolting. That's like a mud shake. Remember, you used to get the mud shakes, Andy. Yeah, it was a bit like it was a bit like them. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
Well, yeah, yeah. See, oh, do you know what? It's like an innocent smoothie, an alcoholic innocent smoothie is what it was like. So I'll tell you what I used to do when I was at uni. So you remember the old Buxton five-meter bottles, right? Yeah. Of the water bottles. So a litre of vodka, and then you try and get as much of the two bottles of cherry tango that you could. And then I put Morello <laughs> cherries in there as well. Now, what I didn't realize was the Morello cherries would suck in the vodka. So you're drinking this stuff, and you're like, nah, it's all good, it's all good. And then you'd get like, the Morello cherries at the bottom. And you'd be relatively sober at this point. But once you start eating those cherries, man, bad things happen. I can remember literally powerbombing my mate through someone's coffee table. Oh. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, on the vodka thing, there was a, my roommate in Germany had got this bottle of vodka, and it was... From, well, from memory, it was about two foot high, and it was glass, but on the top of it, it had like a, almost like a what you'd get in a calf for, um, for tomato ketchup, like a, <laughs> like a, a pretzel, and you, you just like squirt out your vodka. <laughs> and he had it there for ages, just giving himself shots. Like, <laughs> right, there you go. And then some Coke. So shouts out to the to the lads who've been to my bear in Ibiza because you know like you can get the I think it's like a six and a half liter bottle of Ciroc and they have to give it to you on a wheel so you basically turn the wheel to pour the drink because the bottle's wow. too heavy otherwise. Yeah, that's hey, epic. So, I what, uh, what? Okay, so let's sort of improvise. What are yeah. what? What are the, let's say, what three things have you taken from 2020 that you might otherwise not have known if the circumstances had been different? I know that's pretty much putting you on the spot, but uh, given what has happened, has it has it sort of unveiled any character traits in people that you might not have seen? Have they not been put under so much pressure? Or has it has it shown you fighters in a different light that you might not otherwise have seen? Um, has it shown boxing to be a different sport to what you thought it was, or you know, any any literally anything you can apply to that question? Okay. So, so I'll start off with a degree of seriousness. So, I've loved watching the growth of a lot of people. So, like I said, Andre Sterling, I think this year has grown and matured into someone who I hope stays on in the sport, and I hope MTK or whoever's backing him now will give him a reasonable push so he can have the career he deserves. I've loved how Dan Aziz has grown as a human being and his career now where he's building up a CV, which is British level plus. Same with Craig Richards. Um, Denzel Bentley, I think, has been nothing short of spectacular. And his career has been meteoric. But I always counsel Denzel, don't move too fast. Man. You've got a long career ahead of you. You know, manage the pace. But he's been so engaging across all social media platforms. Everyone should go and follow these guys, by the way. Sterling, Richards, Aziz, Bentley. Follow these guys. Adrian Martin as well. I know he's a bit he's a bit bullyony sometimes in his views, but I think Adrian Martin's a thoroughly good man and he's been entertaining in boxing. There are a load of guys, there are a load of people like that. Like, um, you know, you've got to shout out some of the ladies as well, like Ellie Scottney, who I think is a fantastic ambassador for women's boxing. And then like, all these young guys, like I call them like the 2014 to 2016 generation, because that's when they kind of started cutting their teeth in the amateurs. And they're all coming good now. And they seem to be more clued up than the generation before. And I've really enjoyed that, to be honest with you. Um, as, as always, I've got to shout out my Fitzroy Lodge family who have helped me get through the lockdown. And it's been spectacular. Um, 
thoroughly good people, you know, and I've really enjoyed that. There's a kid coming out of iBox. I think his name's Piers O'Leary. Now, I don't think I'm the first guy to talk about Piers O'Leary, but they seem to have something special there. Between him and Dennis McCann, you might see some spectacular boxing coming out of there. So just keep, a, keep an eye out for Piers O'Leary. Uh, who else has blown me away this year? Tony Yoka. Like, if you look at Tony Yoka's CV, for a guy with nine fights, to have Duharpus and Christian Hammer on your CV, he wouldn't get that if he was British. So onwards and upwards for him. Um, yeah, stepping Terry, away from he, the boxing side. Did Tony Yoko, um, I'll, I'll intimate it on, uh, on the video. Did he? Well, we don't know, but he missed some tests, which right. might be a red flag to many people. So he got punished for missing three tests. Right. As opposed to being caught with anything in his system. But we always ask questions of people who claim to be boxers but don't actually hold a current boxing license. Yet they're still telling you that they're going to fight. Because when you don't hold a boxing license, you can't be tested by UCAD. So all you young boxers out there, there you go. You cannot be tested by UCAD when you're not registered with the governing body. It's mad, isn't it? Like I think I'm sure the Olympics, uh, like the IO, IOC, say that in order to compete at the Olympics, you have to have been tested for a certain period of time before that. I don't know that to be six, six months before. It's, it's, so it's only six months. Jesus yeah. Christ! You can come out of nowhere and appear. This is this. It, it, this like I did the episode with Shakiba. I don't know if you listened to it, Andy. Probably not because you know. Although she was on SAS Who Dares Win, so you should be able to empathize with her. You know, she showed she's made of the tough stuff. Why don't you do that, Andy? Actually, why don't you do SAS Who Dares Win? What? Oh, um, no. Come on. That, you'd be brilliant at that. I can imagine you just there, just yomping through the countryside in Scotland, you know, a bit of, I mean, cold water training, you'd be all good. Do you know what? The, the thing is, I, I, there's so many techniques they use in it that I recognise. It's such bait. I mean, like, some of the stuff they do is obviously um, more, uh, you know, it's more specialised than I ever did. But some of the basic things, the, the way that they psychologically break the people down on there, it's really, it reverberates with me. And I... Yeah. And uh, it's a weird relationship I have with that program because I know people, I knew uh, blokes, the uh, ex-service personnel who hate watching it. They're just sort of not interested at all. Um, but when I watch it, I have this sort of weird sort of love-hate relationship with it where I watch it and I see them being ripped apart by like being screamed at or being given... Um, fatiguing exercises just to break them down emotionally i just think oh i remember that i remember that but there's 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 a weird almost like a i don't know if it's some sort of stockholm syndrome feeling about it when you're watching it going like those are the good old days <laughs> they the, were absolutely you know the the, the pain but the 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 camaraderie that it breeds and like the, the feeling of achievement that you've managed to get through a soul destroying session. You've not given up, but it's broken every single element of you. It's, uh, but it's, it, I also watch it and you can tell it does allude, allude to it sometimes, but you can tell that they are sleep deprived. And 
I can't do that anymore. The old, the, the older you get, the harder that is as well. Like as a kid, you know what it's like. As a kid, I could go out, get smashed, have three hours sleep, and go to work. Now, if I don't get fucking fourteen hours a night, I'm a dribbling wreck on the motorway on the, on the, way, to <laughs> on the way to work. Yeah, like, just, but yeah, yeah. So so no, Shaq was really interesting because her experience in that were were good because on season five. They basically didn't even talk about her until episode number five. So she she's like an ultra runner. So in terms of running with a backpack on her back, I don't think it bothered her. But the interrogation, I think they were just like, uh, we don't know if you, we want you to do this, which is a shame because she's she's cool as fuck. She's one of my favorite one of my favorite women in boxing because the stuff she talked about, Andy, is stuff that's going to become important in five years from now. So talking about the impact of boxing on women and why it's different for men. And these sorts of things, the mental health impacts of contact sports and women. She's she's ahead of the curve. Do you? So she's definitely someone you should keep your eye on. You just raised something in my mind there. Do you? Because boxing is going through this, um, what feels like a, a generational movement, with its whole uh, boxers launching legal action against. Uh, governing bodies for concussion and all that sort of stuff. And you've got football is very much sort of coming into the spotlight for the lack of, well, it's, it's bringing in, they're trialing concussion substitutions as of next month, I think, um, in the Premier League. And they're going to start, they're going to start looking at, that's going to be start becoming a thing. It's more and more being brought, put under the microscope. Does boxing risk getting left behind if it doesn't do so, I, right i recognize well i don't know what what does boxing do and if it doesn't do anything does it risk getting left behind by a public shift away from sports that are that don't do anything about it because it's clearly some there's somewhat of a public movement towards you know safety regards concussions otherwise they wouldn't do it you know so so I think most people know that I played rugby when I was younger and I played played to a reasonably good standard. So I played with guys like James Forrester, who went to play for England, John Goodridge, who had a long career with Gloucester. Shout out to guys like Mark Irish, played against guys like Andy Powell and so forth coming up. I've played about two, 250 games of rugby, Andy. And I played as a forward. But my head's been smashed and kicked in. God knows how much. And those there's always that culture of you've got to prove how tough you are by enduring this pain. So like when all of this stuff has happened and like I've watched a lot of these rugby guys talk and you know Steve Thompson can't remember winning the World Cup. Alex Popham's on an interview and he's forgotten the last two minutes of a conversation. Wow. And I'm thinking is this going to happen to me? And you know you, you kind of sleep with one eye open on this matter. You're quite nervous of it. And then I think of all the times I used to go get up in the morning on a Saturday and I'd go and spar with my mates, like Big Domac and Lardy and so forth. And then I'd go and play rugby in the afternoon. And I'm like, what the fuck was I doing to myself? And now you see the CTE risk. Now, if you want to know how serious the CTE risk is, go and look at how many rugby players have motor neuron disease. It's disproportionate to the rest of the population. Mm. If you guys can find him, there's a guy called Matt Hamilton. Uh, I think it's matthamilton.com. He's done a really interesting paper on CTE and the impact he's had on behavior because a lot of NFL guys, um, like Aaron Hernandez, I think his documentary is on Netflix, a lot of these guys sort of do really disgusting things over time. So Aaron Hernandez was a killer 
and like I think he went to jail for murder and he's dead now, if I'm correct. And then you get these guys who American football players who are just kidnapping people randomly. And all of these guys are shown traces of that kind of CTE damage. And now you're looking at boxes yeah. going, how many of these boxes have CTE damage? And are we taking the right steps to reduce that? And so to push back on boxing fans, every time you say a guy quit, remember 20 years after that fight, he's going to have to live with those consequences. He's not going to remember a lot of stuff. He's not going to be able to do stuff. His hands are going to shake for the rest of his life. And all of that, so you can never tell him that he quit. So have some sympathy because as we know more about this stuff, we'll be able to realize that it doesn't take a lot to do damage to the brain. And that's what scares me. And I don't think boxing's on top of that. And I think boxing's burying its head in the sand and saying, look, we've got all the right safety protocols. And it's like, okay, but what are you doing in terms of looking into CTE damage and what it does year on year? My thing has always been this, and I've said it on this podcast before, Andy. Boxers should have a fixed number of fights that they can do. Yeah? Amateur and pro. We should say, right, you can have 60 fights, amateur and pro. That's it. After that, you will not be permitted to fight anyway. It will be illegal for you to fight. And I think that will go some way to managing that kind of CTE slash Alzheimer's risk within boxes. And then you can also scan for what they call the APOE14 gene. And so that seems to be a good indicator of whether you're going to develop Alzheimer's or not. See, it puzzles me to some extent how the most high-profile boxer in the history of boxing suffered from a neurological disease you know I, I, I don't know if it was brought on by boxing or not but the fact that he did and the fact that that connection could easily be made and you know and yet there is still is still way behind every other sport regarding it now i i realize the biggest spanner in the works here is that it almost it's almost crucial to the sport. If you can't punch someone in the head all of a sudden, it's almost like it's sort of what is boxing kind of thing, you know, like, but it's, it's still, there is still an appetite for contact sports. There's still an appetite for martial arts sports because otherwise you wouldn't get, you know, such a growth in MMA, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like, and we've, I don't want to be, doom and gloom about it but i know i know we've, we've talked about this before but i feel like in between boxing's boxing feels like it's for me it's being pushed by its lack of uh, lack of willingness to modernize lack of willingness to be governed in any certain way lack of willingness to be flexible in any sort of fashion with the then the added pressure of things like Right, what safety measurements are you implementing to, to sort of bring us back to something we spoke about earlier and they're still not willing to do it? I think to myself, how long can the sport keep going on with basically staying exactly the same way? Yeah, because if that were the case, any uh, other sports other sports would just stay as they were, but other sports modernise. Why does boxing not? And, why, and, and what are the risks for it if it doesn't? Will it ever you know suffer? Why? Boxers rarely have the money to sue. The people who are going to sue a governing body do not have the money to pursue the legal action. So they just take the approach of, who the hell is going to sue us? It was just 
a fluke that Michael Watson was able to sue. When, when, when the board gets sued properly, they'll institute these actions. The thing that's happened with rugby is there was a case in France involving Jamie Cudmore, which I think is still being prosecuted in France. So it gave energy to the British guy to say, well, actually, we've got similar symptoms. Maybe we should sue. And these are guys who aren't short of a bob or two. And they've got quite friendly lawyers who are willing to charge good rates because it's good career advancement for their firm. Now, what that means, Andy, is the board will keep getting away with this because they've got their tub thumpers like Steve Bunce who try and tell you that here's a problem. And they, they always refer to, look, we give our guys MRI scans and brain scans and stuff to work out whether they fit the box. But the MRI scan they do is wrong. They should be doing the MRI DTI scan because that looks deeper into the brain, looks at the proteins to see if there are any signs of damage. And they don't do that. They don't even recommend that. That's what you should have before you get a license. And they should have a doctor on the board who reviews these and says he's not safe to fight. And the minute a doctor says you're not safe to fight, your license should be revoked immediately. Don't care how you feel, don't care what you think, you should be revoked immediately. I also think you should have a genetic test for the APOE gene variant to see which one you've got. And then that, that will flag you as low, medium, or high risk. Would you would you cap fights at amateur and professional level? Yep. I don't think... I, and what it would do is it would stop you having bullshit fights as well. Like, if you know you've got a set number of fights, you can't waste time. It might That might actually improve the sport, to be fair. Yeah, I think it would. I think then... The, the meaningful fights would have to happen a lot sooner because you can't drag it out. Um, we wouldn't see Tyson Fury fighting, I don't know, what was it? Tom Schwartz or Osvaldo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but, but actually, the, you know, the very you know, two people just, that I was thinking of. Yeah, but just in defense of those fights, remember, Muhammad Ali fought Bob Foster, giving away, well, Foster was giving away about 35 pounds. Muhammad Ali fought I think it was Jerry Quarry. You know I mean, Muhammad Ali had a lot of filler bouts as well. You know, we call him great, but he had a lot of filler in his career. You you need filler in your career because these camps are so hard, Andy, that sometimes you need an easy fight just to just let the body operate at a lower intensity. Right, I I, I'm, I don't dispute that. However, I'd have I'd almost have more respect for those fights if there were fights that the boxer had to take by sacrificing one of his one of his uh, sort of a quota of fights. If you've only got, how did you say, 20 or 30 fights in your career and you're giving one of them away to have an easy fight, f- fair enough, mate. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But when, when you're just, you've said about Muhammad Ali and that's a guy who just kept fighting and then came away, you know, Unfortunately, yeah. The way that he did. And it's, it's, if anything, that's a perfect advertisement for what you're saying. Uh, and someone like... I mean, Tyson Fury hasn't been hit a whole lot. So there's that. Well, okay, but, so let, let's look. Right. I, I don't know. That's the limit of my any knowledge of my speculation. No. But, but guys like Lennox took a shellacking in various fights. Lennox is perfectly lucid now. Uh, George Foreman in his latter career from 87 onwards, took 
monstrous beatings reasonably lucid and energetic now it's there's no hard and fast rule on this so i think it's a function of are you genetically predisposed towards brain injuries yes no are you genetically predisposed to absorbing punishment yes no there are all of these complex variables that the board should be investigating now and investing money in understanding them because my god they don't want to get sued and it turns out someone else has already done the research that would be painful for them Is there any other business you want to talk about? Ah, oh, now we've talked about the, the OnlyFans grift. So shout out to my ladies making that money. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think I think you realise that you know because women like to talk shit, don't they? Like, listen, if I put my news on OnlyFans, every man would want to pay to see them. I'm like, never conflate people sliding your DMs with people willing to pay to see you naked. Like, money's different to to typing shit on a keyboard on a free app. So shouts out to all the grifters out there. Keep grifting in 2021 because money's going to be tight. So if you can find your, your Christmas card grift, you can find your, your OnlyFans grift, you can find your personal training grift, just do your thing, man. Um, other business, what else has been happening? I'm trying to think of stuff that we need to talk about that maybe we've missed. Um, you know, I've always got to touch on things that I think are real. Okay, so, okay. so what did you, what did you, th I don't think we talked about Joshua Povetkin, did we? What did no. you, th what did you think to Joshua? Because I, I mean, I, so I'll tell you what I thought about it. Um, you go first. In the, I, I thought that I saw an improvement in Joshua in, in that he got, I almost saw shades of the Klitschko fight about him in that he started pumping away in, a, I think it was a fourth. He looked like he was going to be able to put Povetkin away. Apparently, I didn't hear this, but apparently Dillian White was on commentary on the radio, I believe, and Dillian White criticised him for not going for the jugular. I, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard on the BBC podcast. And I actually thought that the fact that he stood off Povetkin and thought, right, I'm not going to I'm not going to gamble here. Stood off and then turned into a boxer that more reflected his experience after the Ruiz fight. I thought that showed progression. Um and that he waited for his opportunity. He's almost like he took he took a big chunk out of Povetkin at the at that first part, but then he thought to himself, if I try and finish him off now, there's a risk that I blow out. Whereas I can wear him down over the next few rounds and then pile it on later and I've got more of a chance to get him out of it. That's kind of how I saw it. And I was... <laughs> my my initial thought on it is it's still not good enough to beat Fury, but I thought it was a big improvement on the Joshua that I'd seen before. Almost like... All of his experiences come together, and if that—that's the best Joshua I'd seen. Was my opinion of it. What did you think? Okay, so I saw him in with a forty-year-old guy who has seen better days, and even in his better days, wasn't that good. Pulev, Pulev's a C-level fighter, and at his best, he was a, he's a B-level fighter, and he's the sort of guy that Joshua should have made a statement against, and I don't think he did. So then I look at it and I go, 
when are we going to see Anthony Joshua off the leash? Now, I know he's got the stamina issue, and I know the power is not necessarily what we think it is. Fine. But he could be a real destroyer. Like, he could just say, listen, I'm going to have three rounds where I just go at this cool that guy, break him down, and just take him out. After that, I'll keep away with the jab for two rounds, recharge, go at it again. I understand that. But if Joshua's mindset is, I don't want to get knocked out. Like, if you're, if you're going into fights not to lose, and then whatever happens, happens, I don't respect you as a heavyweight champion. Like, our heavyweight champions go out there to do damage, and that is his job, to do damage. And I don't think he showed me enough in that fight. And it's Pulev. Like, we're not talking about Usyk here. It's Pulev. He's, up in, he's just upright, very basic, very just, like, very robotic. And you've had a year to prepare for this guy. And that's the best you could do. I wasn't impressed. Now, the Joshua fans will tell me I'm crazy for saying this, but you've had a year to prepare for him. That should never have gone more than four hours. So, so you, so presumably then you, you don't think Joshua's got better as a boxer? I think, I think they've done what they should have done a long time ago. They've almost done it the, the, the wrong way around. So they made him super aggressive and super attacking at the beginning of his career. And then they've kind of made him super conservative. Maybe if he'd taught, been taught to be conservative beforehand and defensively responsible when his brain was more malleable, he could have then built on this attacking instinct going forward. See, and I... He's going to need that against Fury because Fury's not going to let him sit off. See, this is the hard thing with it. It the hard, the hard uh, thing is that at some point Joshua's going to fight Fury, right? Now I God would. Uh, well, all right, yeah. So let's let's let for argument's sake, let's let's say that's the case. Now, let's take Wilder as an outlier because he has that like devastating punch. But apart from that, in terms of boxing boxing ability. Well, I mean, I'll ask you this question because I don't know what you'd say. Would you put Joshua and Fury ahead of Wilder or not? Uh, sometimes you end up in what I call the, the triangle situation where where I believe Joshua Rock, could Rock, paper, Fury. scissors. <laughs> yeah, no. So I believe Joshua could beat Fury but could get iced by Wilder. I believe Wilder can beat Joshua but get iced by Fury. I believe Fury can beat Wilder but get iced by Joshua. Like the way their styles are so different, those those guys could like they could just fight each other for a couple of years and the results would just be mixed. It would be a mixed group. Like you'd end up going, maybe they're all as good as each other. Well, it's funny you should say that because the even though I had thought that I don't think I'd seen it, I thought, well, I don't think Joshua was good enough to beat Fury. There was the niggling thought at the back of my mind that the only uh, the only person that I, that I, I mean, bearing in mind we're going, we're digging back into the archives of my brain and, and I wasn't really, you know, it's taken so long for the fucking heavyweight scene to unfold that go back too far and I wasn't even thinking about boxing. But... That being said, 
the the last person, correct me if I'm wrong, in any way that um, Furious Four with the power of Joshua would have been Klitschko. The last uh, with the completeness. Wilder's got the one punch power that's above both of them, but yeah, Joshua's able to to let more heavy shots go than Wilder. Now I remember watching Klitschko Fury. And the thing with Klitschko is I remember that he didn't start letting himself go until about round 11, as far as I remember. It was very much a tactical thing. And then he went, right, I'm going for this. And then it was... Well, he had no choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. But the, the, my, the only niggling thought in my mind regards Fury Joshua to somewhat, to somewhat at least lend an, an idea that uh, my thoughts towards what you're saying about Fury beating Joshua is that what does Fury do if Joshua just comes at him with that raw power that you saw against Pulev? I mean, is it? I mean, I don't know enough about the technicalities of boxing. Can he just dance around the ring? Can he dance around him? Is that? Po- I mean, no. I, 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 look, you, you, look, you've got to get past Fury's jab. Fury's going to have the reach advantage. Fury might have the speed advantage, right? So you've got to get... So, so in this fight, l- l- let me break it down. If someone had me in camp on like the Joshua side and said, okay, what are we talking about here? At the top of my list is, how do you get past the Fury jab? You can't get past the Fury jab by just walking forward because you're going to eat it. And it's going to break you down like you did to Sora. So you're going to have to be able to move your head. You're going to have to have some footwork. Joshua's not a fantastic counterpuncher, so that's not his thing. He's going to have to come at Fury and get past that jab. So you can fake and then double jab in. You can do all of these little things, by all means. But challenge number one is to get past that jab. And then once you're in, have you got the right shots to make Fury respect you? Now, if I'm on the Fury side, I'm like, just put that jab in his face. Keep him upright, and then speed up the one-two behind that. Jab, bam! And Joshua's not going to know what hit him because no one's ever done that to him. So psychologically, Joshua now in the place where he goes, no, nah, no, nah, this, this is too much for me. And if Fury can start to work little angles and little pivots and use head movement and discombobulate Joshua, he can break him mentally before he breaks him physically. So Joshua's main objective, I'd ignore everything else because you can figure that out in the fight. How do you get past that Fury jab? But presumably, you think that he could. Look, how many how many years has he had to prepare for Fury? Like mentally, you should have been thinking about how am I going to get past that jab for the last two or three years, because the the path has been clear. Right, is there anything else you want to add to this podcast? Because it's getting to a point where one, I need to go for a shit. Two, I need to go to so sleep. Do I. And three. Oh, and what time start? What time start work for? Uh, well, I'll be getting up about quarter past four. Smart. Oh man, go and get some sleep. Now, how's Bear? How's, how's how's Bear? Oh, Bear, he's good, mate. Yeah, yeah, he's all is good. He, is, he, is he cool around people now? Uh, well, the difficult thing is that the last. By the way, we're talking about my dog. Um, the 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 thing is that so. The fact that he doesn't get to see anyone because no one's allowed in the freaking house doesn't help. You know what I mean? But having said that, he 
he is getting better on the occasion we, we have people over. He's relatively more chilled, listens more, and you're like, sit there, and generally he chills out quicker. So so I've been watching like Big Chuck McBride and Cesar Milan. And rule Milan. number one, when a dog does something you don't like, you just got to ignore it. Like when you do all that stuff, like they see this validation. That's why they carry on doing it. Sometimes you just got to ignore it. Like you told me, you'd be like, no, I'm not even going to engage it. And then they're like, okay, it doesn't work. And then what they'll do is they'll come in front of you and just sit down and go, you're happy now. Oh, yeah, I'm happy. And then that's how they, that's how they rebase where you're at mentally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean I've, like, he, the, the thing the door goes the door goes and he doesn't know what to do. So he starts barking and barking. And what I've started teaching him now is go to his bed. So the door knocks and he runs straight to his bed and you're like, Good boy. And then you sort of wait. And you have to yeah. try and open the door and and, and he, he he's curious. Of course he wants to see who's at the door, but but yeah, he's he's pretty well behaved to be fair. He's he's getting there. He's getting there. Well, so. But we do for New Year's Eve. Well, you do, oh, it's like you're working anyway. Well, I am working. I'll be finishing relatively early and then we'll be getting back and probably, I mean, there's me, me, Michaela, and, well, I mean, we haven't taught Bear how to play Monopoly yet, so it won't be it won't be a three-way game of Monopoly. It'll be, uh, it'll probably be doing some uh, link play games on the PlayStation because that is rock and roll. Fucking hell, lockdown's got us all messed up. Mate, I'm, I'm good now because that's what I need to say. What are you doing, Easy? Which is rare for me. But I've no idea, but I'm in London. I'm sure someone's going to have some kind of wildcat party somewhere. Someone's letting fireworks off. So wherever they're letting fireworks off, I'll be there. I mean, with my 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 skier gear on, embracing the whole Afro Lash culture that you have in West London. Allegedly. Like, that way they can't get you. Hey. Well, you know, I may go, I may not go. I don't know. <laughs> if, if, if you see me there, it's not me. <laughs> Right, I think that is enough. That is definitely enough for me. No, that is. That is two and a half hours of, let's oh, face Jesus. it, dross. Really? Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. We gave him some hits. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It, it, it's like a Genesis album. I am not editing this either. It's going out raw. Let it out raw. Blacked raw. Yeah. All you YouTube channels with your fake numbers, bow down before the knees of. Michelle Joy Phelps, man. The only real only real broadcaster out in the boxing world. All you other guys buying your YouTube and buying your Facebook likes and buying your promotion. Yeah? Little rats. I mean, little rodents. How dare you go and talk to people about me behind my back and try and make out like I'm a bad guy. The little rodent. It came back to me. But, which is, which is, ah, oh, and I can't even tell you who it is on the podcast. I might tell you later. So I go out, yeah? Oh, all right. Quick one, just take a minute, Andy. I promise. Okay, all right, all right. In the summer, I'm in Putney, right? Go out with a few mates. We're like, we're going to go into a pub. The guy's talking about all the fucking ads we have to do. So we sack it off and we go to Sainsbury's. And so we come back with a shopping trolley full of booze, ice, and obviously like porcelain cups because I had nothing else we could drink out of. So we just, wait, we're just outside getting lashed up in the sun, like in a little bit. Of public ground that you can do it. Nice. And I this young lady picture. comes past, right? I bet that, that, and she's like, a picture of sophistication, I'm sure that was. <laughs> what, mate, man? But you know what it was? It, it was drawing a crowd because, like, we didn't have to respect social distancing or anything. So they're like, oh, these guys are just drinking the way we used to. So people came out and joined us. 
man, we've come out with the limes, the lemons, everything. Like we've got everything there, like all set up. Like a free so bar. Like a proper session. Yeah, well, it's like a proper session. Uh, I think we, we we drank from eight to about half twelve there. And a young lady comes up and she's like, "You don't remember me, do you?" I'm like, well, "No." And she told me who who I should know her to be, right? So we get talking. And like she joined us for a few drinks. She's a fucking awesome young lady. I should have remembered her. I'll tell you once once you hit record end on this, I'll tell you who it is. So we're all just drinking, having a laugh and a joke. And so we go back to their place in Fulham. Mate, like just started spilling the beans about the stories, man. And I was like, ah, these boxing people like to pretend who they are in real life. I was like, okay. You know? So what ruined that was like the lockdown ruined it. So we didn't really manage to catch up again. So we're just trying to trying to work that out via social media because you can't do anything else now. So I might do that for New Year's Eve, actually. I might message her and see what her and her crew are doing and then we can all just link up. Right, okay. Well, I'll end the recording there and then uh, then find out who you're talking about. Um, so. <laughs> now, I want to see you press the button as well, man. I, mean, I need to see the button get pressed. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Um, right, thank you very much for listening. Um, I We appreciate you, we appreciate you uh, every single one of you. Um, I'm, I apologise to whatever his name was for all the ers and the ums and the ahs. And the, I do try to yes. not do that, but... We're, we're authentic, man. Listen, what you, you, we I just know. give you our souls. I hope the quality of the podcast was audible enough for you. If it wasn't, like I said, you know, I'm not going to apologise, but yeah. still yeah. hope that it's as good as it can be. So once the government lockdown is up, we can all get together again. However, this was relatively straightforward, so therefore there's no reason why we can't do a bit more regularly uh, without getting any hopes up. 100%. And listen, everyone needs to start thinking about a live show. <laughs> we could even do a limes a live zoom call couldn't we yeah just get everyone to join in we might do that yeah uh, anyway if you, if, you, if, you, if you if you think a live zoom call would be would be a, a good one I, what i could do is then i could have everyone live and then record it as a podcast anyway i don't know i don't know what we could do anyway thank you very much for listening and we'll goodbye from mine who's not here goodbye from me See you soon, and goodbye Later. from Terry. Bye. <laughs>